Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about latest Xbox news for the week, February 23rd, 2023, including Microsoft has struck deals with Nintendo and NVIDIA to help secure their acquisition of Activision, Atomic Heart is causing some major controversy because nothing makes sense in a world without Windows Phone, we have tons of write-ins about Hogwarts Legacy, and much more. On this day in Xbox history, in the year 2010, Sega and Sonic All-Star Racing, Sonic and Sega All-Star Racing, released for the Xbox 360. You guys, welcome to episode 195 of the Xbox On podcast. You guys remember the Sonic Racing series? This was the first one. There's three of them. This is the first one. Pretty solid game. The second one really, I think, is considered to be the crown jewel of the trilogy, Sega, Sonic, and All-Star Racing Transformed which is the one where you could like fly, boat, or or drive. It was kind of like Mario Kart 8 before Mario Kart 8 came out, although we don't acknowledge that because Nintendo gets all the credit for that game. Uh, but yeah, this is a pretty solid kart racing series. I, I, of course, you guys know me, I love Sonic, so of course I played all three of these. I put the most time into the second and third one, although, yeah, like I said, the second one was definitely considered the king of the three. That one came out in 2012, 360, yeah, late 360 game. For some freaking reason, had Wreck-It Ralph in the game. I mean, that was the same. It came out around the same time. Wreck-It Ralph, the movie, came out. So I guess it was a tie-in that Sega did with Disney. Oh, that's why. It's because Sonic is in the movie Wreck-It Ralph. So I guess it was a cross-promotional thing. We put your character in our movie. You put our character in your game. I get it. Okay, anyway. Sonic and Sega All-Star Racing. If you're looking for... uh, I mean, I wouldn't recommend going back and playing this game. I'd I'd play the second or the third one. If The third one's the most accessible because... It was available on uh, Xbox One. It came out in 2019, but that one, they dropped the and Sega All-Star and just made a Sonic racing game. It was called Team Sonic Racing. That one's a little bit like Sonic Heroes meets Mario Kart, but anyway, actually a pretty decent kart racing series if you're looking for a family game where you like goofy arcade racing games, kart racing games, whatever. Probably don't need to dwell on this any longer than we already have, but guys, welcome to episode 195 of the podcast. First thing I want to say before we jump into anything this week is, you guys, a very special um, thank you to all of you who listen to the show, who support the show. This past week, we finally crossed the milestone over on the Xbox on YouTube channel uh, of 1,000 subscribers. So this is the first time anything I've ever built on any social media platform or anything ever has hit 1,000. I don't know. The only I've hit 1,000 calories in a meal. I've hit 1,000 calories in a snack. I've hit a thousand hours on runescape or on the toilet like i I don't know like i've hit a thousand many things before in my life but i've never hit a thousand subscribers or followers or anything like that so this is a big milestone i'm really pleased with this proud of it and most importantly just 
grateful to all of you guys who have ever checked out the show in any form or fashion, whether it was on YouTube or somewhere else. Thank you so much for helping me cross this milestone. I'm really grateful and fortunate to get to celebrate this with all you guys, and I, and I appreciate it. So thank you very much for that. You guys, we have something of a slow news week, but the thing is, even though we only have like one major story, there are a couple elements to it, and it's a pretty big news story. So I feel like it's one of those like not a lot of news, but the quality of news we have is interesting and engaging and important enough to where we're going to have a pretty robust show despite not having, you know, a fucking avalanche of news to get through. But uh, I'm looking forward to it. Maybe you should be too. Would you be my subscriber? 1001 youtube.com slash Xbox on podcast. Anyway, guys, let's start out this podcast as we do every week these days by talking about the notable games coming out this week, things that you should probably take note of if you are an Xbox gamer who wants to be in the know. You would, I mean, imagine a scenario where, you know, it's a Friday night and your boys text you and they say, uh, yo, Jerome, because your name is definitely Jerome if you're listening to this podcast, uh, we're going to the bar. And you say, what bar? And they say, you know what fucking bar. We're going to the spot. You guys have a name for it. It's in your inner circle of guy friends, and you know what I'm talking about. And you go to this bar, and, 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 what, do, and what do you know? There's a pretty lady at the bar. It's just like in the Bud Light commercials. She's beautiful. You're less beautiful, but still beautiful. And you, you look like you got the country boy attire on, but you don't look like a redneck. And she she looks like a freaking supermodel. And, you know, she gives you a look. And for some reason, her hair is blowing, even though you're indoors. And, uh, you know, and you slide on over to her. Well, wouldn't you feel pretty fucking embarrassed at this beautiful woman who's kind of nudging you, hinting that she wants you to come talk to her? Um, first thing, she opens her mouth and says, uh, what were the top notable games that released on Xbox this week? If you don't have the answer to that, boom, opportunity of a lifetime, shot in the foot, you're dead, you're gone, you're out of here. You're going to look like a fucking buffoon. Your friends are going to make fun of you. They're going to say, dumbass, you didn't know that Blood Bowl 3 came out this past week on Xbox One, Series S, Series X, PC, PlayStation 4, and PS5 on February 23rd. Are you a fucking dolt? And they will laugh you at the bar. You'll probably never go back there. You probably, you know, the only thing from that night that you'll take with you for the rest of your life is your newly developed addiction to alcohol, and that's that's going to be it. So please listen up. Pay attention, guys, because these are the most notable games coming out this week that I really think you ought to know about. And uh, at the top, I'm sure it's going to come up a lot in this show. I'm sure a lot of you guys are playing it or are looking forward to getting into it this week. Atomic Heart, it is finally out. This is actually like my most anticipated game of the year, I, th I think. I don't know. It's between this and Redfall. I just, I'm very, very excited about Atomic Heart. I have it uh, ready to go, but I, I don't have a chance to play it right now. So I'm really looking forward to hopefully diving into this game Thursday or this weekend. But yes, Atomic Heart finally out from developer Munfish, Russian developer, contentious uh, thing to say, Russian developer Munfish. Uh, I am very excited to play this game, nonetheless. Um, and we'll get into some other shit with this game in a little in a little while. Um, but yeah, I mean, this game has been a long time coming. I'm pretty sure, in some form or fashion, we've been seeing teasing teaser trailers and hints and bits and pieces of this game. I I want to say since 2014. It's been like eight years or so. Uh, so this is, a, yeah, a game that's long in development, um, but has always looked interesting and exciting every time we've seen it. And uh, in the past recent year or two, we've really started to see a lot more of it. Last year, we got the news that it was going to be a Game Pass Day 1 title and just all this stuff. It's been so exciting getting to uh, follow along and see this this game from a, really a, an unheard of developer come together and just look so striking. It's just it, it looks like a Far Cry meets Bioshock kind of game and. 
I, I want that. Now, I, I know a lot of the reviews are out and people are starting to talk and it seems like the consensus is it's a good but not great game or it's a pretty solid game, but it's not for everyone. It's not as accessible as it might look. And you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of controversy over certain aspects. We can get into all that later. Personally, I don't care. I know a lot of you guys are probably excited for it. It's a big day one get for Game Pass. So if you're an Xbox player, this is probably something you're eyeing in, in some form or fashion. And, and for myself, I can uh, confidently say I'm going to drown all that freaking noise out because I've been looking forward to this game for years and I'm not allowed, I'm, I'm not allowed, I'm not about to let any little fucking whiny brat on a Kotaku article whine his way out of me no longer being interested in this game because I'm going to, you, you bet your sweet ass, I'm skipping Epcot this weekend to play Atomic Heart. So, that's the first one I think you should be aware of. The second one, another game I'm really excited about, but I just simply don't have time for this. So this is instantly getting just fucking punted into the into the backlog uh, from day one is Like a Dragon Ishin, which is a spinoff, I guess, if you want to call it a uh, new entry in the Yakuza series. It looks so freaking cool. Yeah, it's a uh, it's basically a Yakuza game, but set in the night the uh, eight sorry the eighteen hundreds mid eighteen hundreds uh, Japan, and it looks fucking awesome. There are swords. There's fucking karate and guns and crazy shit. It looks both like a historically. Uh, artistically like historical kind of interesting game because we don't we never see games set in this kind of time period really it's very uncommon uh so it's striking and unique and interesting in that way but it's also it looks zany and goofy and freaking awesome as hell like every yakuza game is so i i'm very much interested to get to this this i feel like this is going to be one of those yakuza games where i can kind of you know, I'm, I'm technically on Yakuza 4 right now, but I could probably jump away from that and play this game and then come back to the mainline series uh, without really being thrown off because, this, I mean, I'm assuming by the time period that's pretty much entirely unrelated to the other Yakuza games, but I don't know. I just, I feel like I got to play this one now. I can't wait. So I'm really looking forward to this game. This game looks freaking phenomenal. Not on Game Pass, but almost certainly going to be worth the money because, uh, Pretty much every Yakuza game has been great, so I can't imagine this one would be any different. So that one is out. Um, I should say both of these games we've talked about so far are out on uh, Tuesday. So it's already they're both already out. They've been out. I haven't followed anything on this game. I don't know what the reviews are. Personally, don't care. We can get into that a whole separate conversation. I've just... I watched Ant-Man this past weekend, and I, I didn't look at what the Rotten Tomatoes score was until after I watched the movie. And I'm just... I, I'm kind of at this point now where I'm like... I don't give a shit what any critic says because I just like I, I don't understand like who who do critics exist to serve like yes you should always review something from your point of reference and from your honest opinion and perspective and you know if you like something like it if you don't like it don't like it but I just it just seems like reviews are entirely unnecessary because you look at what the general public thinks about most things you look at what critics are, are saying half the time it's like who who does this benefit like who is this review for who's this aimed at it's like review. I feel like reviews are simply for like publishers, and that's it. I, I don't know. So, I haven't looked at the reviews for Like a Dragon. I assume it's doing well uh, because it's a Yakuza game. And they always do pretty well. But yeah, Atomic Heart, Like a Dragon, Ishin. We're already off to a great start. And then, like I mentioned uh, at the, at the top of this segment, talking about going to the bar and getting turned down by the pretty lady because you didn't know about this game. But the third title is Blood Bowl Three, which. Uh, admittedly is a series I have very little understanding or experience of, but I know people were excited about it when it was announced. Blood Bowl 3 is out now. 
uh, at the time this podcast is going live because it's Thursday, the 23rd of February. This is also like the other two games on Xbox One, Series S and X, and PC. So no matter where you play Xbox content, you should be able to have access to this game. Not a Game Pass title, but come on. Sometimes you got to spend money. You got to pay to play. You know what I'm talking about, baby girl? So anyway, those are your three notable game releases of the week. Moving on. We're going to skip our Activision update of the week because our big story of the week is all about Activision. So we'll just glide right on over that and get into our stories of mild amusement, our updates from last week and things of that nature. First one here I know is one that will probably have a lot of people excited because people are really looking forward to Diablo 4. And it is that Diablo 4's beta will begin in March. March is very soon. You might be thinking March is in a week from now. Well, not that soon. Uh, it's later in March, but confirmed during a IGN fan fest, Diablo 4's director Joe Sh- uh, Shelley told IGN that the game's beta will take place just a few uh, just a few months before the full release in June. The beta will run from March 17th to 19th, so not very long, just a weekend, uh, for those players who have pre-ordered the game. And for those who haven't, they'll get a chance to experience the beta in an open beta form from March 24th to 26th. According to Shelley, the beta will have no time limit and players will be able to progress up to level 25. Diablo 4 will release on June 6th. However, players who pre-order the game, the ultimate, div- uh, sorry, the ultimate or deluxe versions of the game will be granted early access on June 2nd, four days early. We'll also uh, grant them access to the early beta pay- period. So if you pre-order the game, you get the deluxe edition. You get to play two weekends of the beta instead of one. You get to play the game four days before it releases. Oh, my God. These are crazy incentives. Um, I'm usually pretty against pre-order culture just in the sense that, you know, uh, you know, wait to see if a game's fucking broken or see what your favorite YouTuber or podcaster has to say about a game before you just go ahead and jump into it. But at the same token, it's like I don't I, I don't practice what I preach if I go around saying that because I pre-order games all the fucking time, uh, you know, especially if it's one that I'm insanely confident that I, I don't care. I'm going to pre-order it anyway, like, I don't know, like Sonic Frontiers or something like that. But nonetheless, you make your own decisions. You're a grown-ass adult, hopefully. I hope no children are listening to this podcast because we say bad words like PlayStation and liberal on this podcast. Okay, next up, VGC comes in, and they and they got this, this this atomic bomb of a little story that we put at the top of the show here that Ubisoft have confirmed it intends to attend the revamped E3 Expo this year in L.A. That is, if it happens. Speaking during an earnings calling on Thursday, uh, the company's CEO, Yves Guillemont, which if you didn't know is French, said that, quote, if E3 happens, we will be there and we will have a lot of things to show, end quote. It's not clear why Guillemont was alluding to an apparent uncertainty about E3 taking place, as it, at this time we really haven't heard it anything about it being canceled because it's officially been announced. We know it's happening. However, details of E3's revamped 2023 format have seen separate business and consumer events split uh, over its four days, and we recently have gotten news including Microsoft, PlayStation, uh, Nintendo, all the big guns will basically not be there at the show. So it is a little bit of like a, who's going to even be there at this point. Is it just going to be like a PAX type event or are we actually going to get any of the big players out? So I guess maybe it's kind of alluding to that where people are kind of expecting something to change here with the uh, recent news that just so many of the big players aren't going to be present at the show. But Ubisoft seems like they want to be there, which is it's kind of sad. It's kind of fitting at the same time, though, because you think about Ubisoft and kind of where they've been uh, lately and how it just seemed like rough days for them as of late. And it's like, I don't know, E3's been in the same spot where it's like, come on, E3, you're, you know, we love you, we miss you, we're nostalgic for you, but you're you're kind of dead. You're kind of a thing of the past these days. And, man, what what a better match made in heaven. Can you think of one? I, I, I know I can't. Ubisoft, with their struggling attempt to get all these games as a service off the ground that constantly fail and uh, the constant delaying and cancellation of projects that they announce and then never make 
uh, never come to fruition and just you know, announcing them all at an event like E3, which is a, a thing of the past. Uh, I just, I can't, I can't think of a better way to cap it all off. You know, maybe they can have like a opening ceremony by uh, the Lost Prophets, famous. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to say that. All right. <laughs> Next up, let's talk about Titanfall for the third week in a row. Can you believe Titanfall has come up in the news this many times? Well, it's a little bit indirect, but according to VGC, a number of former Respawn Entertainment developers have announced the formation of Wildlight Entertainment, a new game studio. The team, which was enti- uh, which is almost entirely made up of developers from who have previously worked on Apex Legends and Titanfall, uh, is currently hiring for several senior roles. Leading Wildlight Entertainment is Chad Greiner, 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 uh, former game director of Apex Legends, who also served as a team for both uh, uh, on teams of both Titanfall games and of the original Call of Duty Modern Warfare series prior to respawn boss vince ampella split from infinity ward for those who don't know a little bit of context context what i'm blinking because my contacts are like freaking destroying my eyesight right now and i'm trying to say context but now i'm saying contacts guys go with glasses they're better for you um but anyway for those who don't recall back in the day the guys that went on to create respawn entertainment and the titanfall franchise were like the original guys over at Call of Duty creator and developer Infinity War. They these guys made the original Call of Duty games, Modern Warfare, Modern Warfare Two. They had a violent, like not violent, like physically violent, but just a, a rough falling out with Activision. There was a whole lawsuit about it back in the day. Eventually, EA scooped them up. They started a new team called Respawn. They started a new project to compete with Call of Duty and stick it to Activision. And that game went on to become Titanfall. And then EA would go on to sabotage the fuck out of Titanfall, even though it was a way better game than Call of Duty. And then uh, fast forward to today and uh, Apex Legends. And that's all you really need to know about that. So it seems like we're having something like that kind of happen again. It's the original team at Infinity Ward split off from Infinity Ward and went to act to EA to go do Respawn and Titanfall. And now we're seeing another core team of uh, of Titanfall and Apex Legends, you know, Respawn employees leave that team to now kind of go do it again. Although this doesn't seem as... as uh, newsworthy and uh, I mean I guess salacious as what happened back in the day with Activision and and, and Infinity Ward but nonetheless a bunch of old school uh, Titanfall devs are now forming a new studio which is kind of exciting because as we all sit here with our our thumbs in our hands twiddling our thumbs around going I wish there was a Titanfall 3 maybe not, not necessarily getting Titanfall 3 but you might get something really damn good from the people who made Titanfall 2 and I don't know, maybe a spiritual successor or something like that. Who knows? Grainer is joined by multiple other former Respawn developers who all left within the last 14 months, including Mohamed Alavi, who was recently in the news, uh, the former Modern Warfare and Titanfall designer who is attached to the single-player adventure games, said to be uh, said to be a canceled Titanfall campaign until his departure last year. So he's now on this team. He bounced around a little bit. I think he went to, not Bioware, where did he go? He went somewhere for a little bit, and now he's here. Uh, so... It looks like they're kind of getting the band back together under a new name, and who knows? Maybe we're going to get another... uh, I mean, obviously, the reason we don't put this in the main news segment is because we get news about new game studios being formed every freaking week, it seems like, at this point, and it's always kind of lame. Not lame because the news is lame, but lame because it's, like, exciting news, but for what reason are we excited? You know, it's like these guys aren't going to have a game to show for many years. The reason why we're getting news about this is because they need to hire and, you know, they, they need to take on some more staff and more more of a team so they can get 
kind of get their wheels turning and get a project underway. So we're not going to see anything from these guys for quite a while. This news, uh, this, this is, is a lot more about trying to get their name out there and get some talent attracted to them instead of uh, telling all of us, don't worry, Titanfall 3 is coming in the form of a new IP. So nonetheless, these guys fucking knocked it out of the park with the original Modern Warfare games. They knocked it out of the park with the Titanfall, with the original, or with both Titanfall games. I'm ready to see these guys go back at it again, do something amazing. It is weird that this time they're not going to be with Van Zampella because he's staying with Respawn. He's staying with EA. We've seen him take on more and more roles. He's kind of the guy in charge of Apex Legends, Star Wars, Battlefield, all these different different developers and stuff. So he's kind of off doing his thing now. But uh, this core team here is now on to hopefully greener pastures because I like Apex Legends. No disrespect. You know, as someone who doesn't generally go for... Uh, Battle Royale games, I find Apex Legends to be the best Battle Royale by by far. It's just so sad <laughs> that Respawn just absolutely killed it and showed what an incredible developer they were with the first two Titanfall games. And now they're making, uh, they still make great games. They still have that high mark of quality and they're just so great at everything they do. But Apex Legends, Star Wars, Jedi, these games, they don't, they don't hold a candle to Titanfall 2. That's just... That's not an opinion. That's a fact. According to the U.S. Uh, Board of Education uh, in in this great state of Wyoming. All right. In our uh, next up, our, our next little story model amusement, I guess we're going to get into that Atomic Heart uh, discussion that was teased. Maybe we could put this in the main news segment. I don't know. It's not technically main news noteworthy, but I feel like I have enough to say about it that we could maybe draw it out. Who knows? Let's just get into it. Who, who really cares? Formatting's for losers. VGC relays that the Ukrainian government has said it will ask Sony, Microsoft, and Valve to pull Atomic Heart from sale on their digital storefronts uh, in, in, the, in their country, in, in the Ukraine. The game, which features Soviet and Russian military themes, was released for Xbox and PC console, uh, PC and Xbox consoles on Tuesday, just days before the first anniversary of Russia's invasion of, the, of Ukraine. It has been... It has become the subject of controversy over its ties to Russia, including claims that the Russian government stands to benefit financially from its release due to the majority ownership of investors in the game. In a statement initially, Ukraine's De Deputy Minister in Digital Transformation, Alex Bornyakov, urged platform holders to limit distribution of the game in other countries too, saying, quote, Regarding the situation with the release of the game, Atomic Heart, which has Russian roots and romanticizes the communist ideology in Soviet of the Soviet Union, the Ministry of Digital Transformation of Ukraine will send an official letter to Sony, Microsoft, and Valve requesting a ban selling digital versions of the game in Ukraine, he said. Continuing on, we also urge limiting the distribution of the game in other countries due to its toxicity, potential data collection of users, and potential use of money raised from game purchases to conduct a war against Ukraine. Uh, of course, the game is on Game Pass, so it's it's especially, uh, I, I guess, I don't want to say baffling, but kind of a tall order considering this is a game that Xbox has a lot of money on the line with since it's a, it's a Game Pass title. So here's the thing. I want to be sensitive to this because... There is no denying that the situation over in Ukraine is fucked. It's really sad. It's very devastating. And it's really easy for me to sit here in my boxers in my little comfy apartment in Orlando, Florida, and talk about war this, good guy that, bad guy that, video games, uh, when I don't have to face those realities and live that life uh, because I, I get to live a very relatively safe and privileged life over here where I am. But as fucked as this situation is, as much as, you know, Russia's, obviously the aggressor. Vladimir Putin is obviously a human sack of shit who probably just deserves to be dead and not exist. 
uh, actually definitely deserves to just not be alive and exist. Um, even though Russia are the aggressors, Vladimir Putin is a piece of shit. This is an entirely unnecessary bullshit war that doesn't need to be happening. And in no doubt, Ukrainian people are the victims here, the ones who have who really shouldn't be pulled in this controversy. And it's just heartbreaking that people are losing their brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, parents, loved ones, friends, cousins, whatever, over something as fucking stupid as, again, the same thing we always ever fight about, people wanting land, people wanting power. Such fucking disgusting, evil, just gut-wrenching bullshit because we've all, you know, we're all relatively young compared to the rest of the, the Earth's history. And, you know, we've all kind of grown up in a world where, you know, relatively speaking, it's been pretty peaceful. It's been pretty cushiony compared to what a lot of generations before us had to deal with. So we're all used to seeing war depicted in video games and movies and things like that. But uh, it's 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 a different thing when you turn on the TV and you're like, fuck, this actually happens in other parts of the world. And uh, obviously, you know, it's not like this is the first war to happen in a long ass time. You know, my country's been gladly bombing innocent children all around the Middle East for many, many years. We've been sticking our nose where it doesn't belong for many years. Look at Korea, look at Vietnam, et cetera, et cetera. So I just want to preface with I'm very sensitive to the situation going on in Ukraine. I'm very understanding of why this might be a sensitive game for many people, especially in that country, and why you might not might think this is in poor taste for this game to be launching basically on the one year anniversary of when your country was invaded and for it to have so much what seems to be Russian propaganda or grandstanding, you know, it just, it just seems maybe a little tasteless. I, I completely understand that and am sensitive to that, but what I, what I can't get behind uh, necessarily is the, um, what I can't get behind is the call not only to, to to remove the game from storefronts um, in Ukraine, but more importantly, the call to have it removed or, or kind of downplayed in other parts of the world too, because he, here's the thing, man, that I refuse to believe that the cast of human beings that make up the developer Munfish, the Russian developer behind atomic hearts. I refuse to believe this is just a team of, grade A Russian assholes who go, fuck Ukraine. Uh, I'm glad that we're over there murdering their people. I'm glad that our people are being forced into this war that most of us don't want to be a part of so we can go kill these motherfuckers and take their land. I can't even fathom a world in which that is even remotely the truth. I, m- Atomic Heart, like any video game, movie, book that has come before it, is an artistic expression and does, has just as much right to be on the table, presented in front of the world stage for all to consume, interpret, enjoy, hate, whatever, as any other piece of entertainment that has come before it. And it's kind of like what we were talking about with Hogwarts Legacy on and off, although I've been kind of avoiding it, not because it's controversial, but because I'm exhausted just thinking about it. It's kind of what we've talked about. In, it, it, we talk about in this country all the time with old American media that might have uh, racially insensitive content or or books that have, you know, books being offered in in libraries where kids have access to uh, different uh, political ideology or, or, or different economic ideology and things like that. This kind of censorship, one one team or one one group or one side trying to determine what kind of information, what kind of spread of ideas and information deserves to be accessed, accessed and what doesn't. And I just maybe this is a overtly American kind of sensibility I, I've, you know, I've, I've adopted as a product of my environment, but I just hate this idea that 
we have to be the arbiters. We as humans have to be the arbiters of what other people can and can't consume and what what art does or doesn't say for other people. This game, no doubt, you know, by by what people have talked about with it, by what a lot of reviewers have addressed, by what a lot of pundits and Twitter personnel and Xbox people have said, seems to absolutely have some narrative commentary or showcase or some kind of something about Soviet Russia, an alternate world where maybe the Soviets Soviets uh, had the Soviet Union had survived and thrived and all this other stuff. And honestly, this kind of alt history universe that this world is painting. Again, I haven't played the game yet. I'm really looking forward to jumping into this weekend. I think it's fucking awesome. You know, I think about a game like Wolfenstein, where it's exploring an alternate reality where where Nazi Germany won the fucking war. It's like, that's not because the, the, the developer at Machine Games are a bunch of fucking Nazi, Nazi sympathizers. It's because how fucking wild of a story, how cool of a story is it? How fun is it to just let your mind wander and say, oh my God, can you imagine a world where the Nazis won? That's It's fucking awesome to be able to explore that idea and create awesome storytelling with it. And you play a game like... like uh, uh, like Wolfenstein, like New Order, or whatever, any of the new Wolfenstein games, and it's and it's cool because you immediately pick up on the fact that like this, no, this game is about fucking shooting Nazis in the face and, and fighting back against the Nazi scum, and it's 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 a cool it's a cool game. It makes a statement, but I understand maybe this game is a little more subtle about its references. Maybe there's a little more room for interpretation. The fact of the matter is, and I'm getting away from myself. Th- this game has just as much a right as any other game to exist. And I would prefer a world where content can just exist and be accessible to the public. And then we as a people, we as autonomous, self-discerning, educated, somewhat, you know, somewhat enlightened human beings can consume media and make the determination for ourselves as to whether or not something is propaganda or whether something pro this ideology or anti that, or whether this is a good thing for people to be exposed to or a bad thing. Because I think the way these things generally go is the overwhelming majority of people will kind of distance themselves from truly unsavory shit. And there will always be bad actors who will seek out bad content. So if Atomic Heart is truly a baffling game, a game that that glorifies this 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 communist Russian military state and is just so insensitive to the modern era of where things are with Russian history and it's in our current time. Regardless of that, I think people should have the opportunity to play this game, interpret what happens in this game, what this game is about, and make that determination for themselves because it's just, I just, I just don't understand why someone should have the, the say over, you know, why someone in Ukraine should have the say over what someone in Sweden gets to experience or what someone in Canada gets to experience. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me why the game's been made. Um, it, people have been interested and excited about this game for years. Uh, the game, no doubt, has has been a labor of love and hard work on behalf of this team. Put it out there. Let the world experience it and decide for themselves. And then we can, as a society, determine, does this game deserve to be adored and respected? Does this game deserve to be cast in, onto the side in 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 and spoken ill of in circles forever and ever and ever? Will this game be a notorious game that every YouTube commentator makes videos about for decades to come about that one 
evil Game Pass title from 2023. I don't I don't know, but like, man, let's let's not try to censor it from other people. Let's try to let everyone explore our content and make make decisions for themselves. It's, I don't know. It's like the Hogwarts Legacy shit, man. It's like you're not you're never gonna as someone who is insanely like without unabashedly like there's no there's no controversy in saying it okay trans people exist trans people are people trans people deserve the same fucking rights as anyone else i don't give a shit if you're straight gay black white fat skin like who gives a shit like why no one no one gen no human genuinely cares right like no one cares who you are and what you look like or any of these things and you can't you're never going to convince me that the fucking the team at Avalanche Software are just a bunch of bigots, just a bunch of transphobes who are working on Harry Potter, not because they are passionate about this 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 imaginative fictional universe, not because it's a it's a fucking paycheck and a great way to get some excellent resume work on under your belt. No, no, none of that. It's just because these are just a bunch of transphobic, bigoted pieces of shit. It's like yeah, 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 that's that's more likely. That's what Occam's Razor suggests, is that everyone who wants to play this game or make this game or be associated with this game is just a fucking bigoted freak. It's like, yeah, we're get, we can tell ourselves that. Or you can just make the fucking game, put it out there for the world to see, and by all means, say what you have to say about J.K. Rowling, put the information out there, the things she said, the things she has done, the things she's accused of, the things, whatever the, whatever the case may be, put it all out there. Let it be on display for all to access and take in. But why don't you let audiences be the arbiters of, hey, this game is transphobic or, hey, this game isn't transphobic. It's just like a really good open world game about fucking British people that wave sticks around and make and make energy happen. It's like maybe maybe not everything is a manifestation of your sensitivity or your tribulation or a, a certain thing that that resonates in a traumatic way for you as an individual. And I know that's like kind of a mean and insensitive thing to say in response to the a Ukrainian minister uh, who is no doubt in the middle of surviving an invasion. But I mean, Atomic Heart is is it's 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 a game. It's a work of art. It's it's someone's passion project. It's it's a group of people's livelihood, and it looks like a fucking awesome game. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I'm gonna play it this weekend. Maybe it sucks. Maybe Atomic Heart sucks dick. And maybe I get on this podcast next week and I tell you all, yo, Atomic Heart sucks. Go play Bubsy 3D. I don't know. It's possible. But, like, man, let me make that call. This is America, bitch, where we tell ourselves we're free. And then we ask our government to tell us everything to think. And then we ask our media to tell us everything to think. And then we vote for the same two parties over and over and over again because we tell ourselves there's only ever two options. Don't you understand how freedom works, you tiny brain incel? Let's move on, shall we? Let's move to a different part of the globe where, uh, well, let's just, quite frankly, better things are happening. All right, VGC reports, and this is our final small story of the week before we get into the big news. VGC reports that Sega is the latest Japanese company to announce plans to raise the salaries of its workers. Wait, 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 what? A company that's making more money in the world where inflation's out of control and people are struggling paying rent that's skyrocketing through the fucking roof and groceries for some reason are like $25 for an egg or some shit like that. They're raising the salaries of their employees. These absolute fucking socialists. What is this? 
Effective uh, July 1st, 2023, going forward, the Sonic publisher, yeah, you heard that right, Sonic's publisher is paying people money, said that they will increase the average monthly salary of existing employees by approximately 30%. It'll be, they will achieve this by raising the base salary and increasing the ratio of base salary with annual salary by incorporating parts of bonuses. That part makes no sense to me because I failed remedial math, but going on, it says Sega said that it was revising its uh, compensation system in order to further stabilize employee income and create a more comfortable working environment, as well as to further strengthen its global competitiveness. Mm. The move comes after Prime Minister Fumio Kishida reportedly called for Japanese companies to pay workers more as inflation takes hold in the economy. Hmm. Man, our, our government is telling our media to tell us to uh, stop being so selfish and going to Starbucks or driving our cars to work uh, in order to save money during inflation. But the Japanese prime minister is telling businesses to pay their employees more money to combat inflation. Interesting. Earlier this month, Nintendo announced plans to raise base salaries of workers in Japan by 10% in last April. Resident Evil and Capcom, uh, Resident Evil maker Capcom raised Japanese base salaries by 30%. Interesting. Uh, yeah, nothing to say to that other than good on you, Japanese companies that continue to uh, actually take care of your employees. That's must be nice as an American uh, living in a in a fucking city that is just economically destroyed and fucked because it's based on rich people buying up everything here and offering menial customer service and uh, in uh, retail jobs in exchange for tourists with big wallets to come here and just devastate the local population i mean that's that's cool it's it must be nice for your government officials to be like hey companies why don't you pay your employees my my, my local government just bitches and moans about uh, trans people and books at public libraries because i i guess that's why people can't pay their rent must be nice so anyway so you guys you make fun of sonic you, you wag your fingers you make fun of the blue blur but here's the thing Play Sonic, you make more money. It's statistically proven. The more people who play Sonic make more money. The more people who work on Sonic games make more money, which means next time you want to make fun of Sonic, just remember, you're probably poor and everybody hates you. Guys, that's going to do it for all of our small stories this week. So we wrapped up that opening segment. Now we get to talk about the meat and potatoes of the podcast. You might be thinking, oh, we're going to get into the main news. Well, yeah, but slow your roll. I said we're getting into that main segment of the podcast, which means I get to tell you about what I've been playing. And you're like, oh, what, what you've been playing? That's the main news segment? Motherfucker, stop getting ahead of me. Listen to me. I said the main news segment, the main segment of the whole entire podcast, which is before me telling you what I've been playing, before talking about the news, I tell you about what I've been eating. So, guys, we're talking about the big two. Actually, we're not talking about the big two. We're talking about one of the big two versus the distant third. Yes, that's right. Sam's Club versus BJ's. Here's the lowdown, guys. Where I live, there are many, many people and no homes and no stores to shop at. You would think it's fucking like the I don't know, Soviet Union. Oops, too soon. Uh, but yeah, anyway, they opened a BJ's like for those who don't. Mm-hmm. Let me explain for those who don't live in the U.S. BJ's is a wholesale club. Wholesale clubs are like, uh, think about big grocery stores, big box grocery stores like Target or Walmart, but even bigger and even more dreary and sad inside. And uh, you just buy everything in bulk. So instead of buying like a box of cereal, you buy 
five boxes of cereal in a, in a, in a, in a bigger package. Instead of buying a pillow, you buy three pillows in, in a big package. Instead of buying, uh, you know, uh, some, some pre-cut chicken breast or chicken thigh, you buy a whole fucking chicken with its face and everything. It's amazing. You just buy in bulk. And the idea is you get to save money and it's amazing. You get a little membership card. You're allowed access to the store. You buy in bulk. You save some money. There's lots of cool shit. And uh, the big three players uh, of this industry are Costco, who are widely regarded as the best, Sam's Club, which I think is the best, although Costco is pretty excellent, and then the distant, distant, distant third place, which is BJ's. It's a terrible name. It's a terrible store. Fuck BJ's. But nonetheless, BJ's just opened up down the road from me. There is now a BJ's about seven minutes from where I live. So they're opening up this new store. They're sending out flyers to everyone in my community saying, hey, we're, we're opening up. If you sign up for a membership before, you know, before we open, you get a year membership for only 20 bucks instead of 50. I'm like, OK, I, I can't say no to that. It's so close to home. I got I got to get a membership. So I go ahead. Despite my pride and my love for Sam's Club, I sign up for a BJ's membership card and um, I'm a member. I, I have I have dual citizenship at both Sam's Club and BJ's now. And I thought in my head, you know, it's like I'm, I'm so emotionally attached to BJ, uh, to Sam's Club, not BJ's. It's become kind of like a meme for me. My girlfriend's tired of me joking about it. I'm sure you guys are tired of me bringing it up on the podcast. You know Sam's Club. They got the exclusive Mountain Dew Berry Monsoon flavor. They got the best pizza. They got the, all the shit you need. I love, gotta love clubbing at the Sam's. You know, it's it's an amazing place. But I can't, I you know, the nearest Sam's Club to me is like 25, 30 minutes away. BJ's is seven minutes down the road. I can't compete with that. So I'm trying to be an adult about it. I'm trying to be like, this is this makes more sense for time, for money, uh, for convenience. I got to get this card. I got to go shop at BJ's now. I'm sure I'm going to get there. I'm going to find out it's just the same as Sam's Club. It's no, no worse than Sam's Club. Oh, boy, was I wrong. And this is a perfect example of why you should never be optimistic, why you should never give anything that, the benefit of the doubt. Because I go over to BJ's. First time, I did, little did I know this was only the third day since they had opened. If I knew that, maybe you know. So a little bit, a little bit. This is my fault, but I'm there. It's the third day the store has been opened. It's also President's Day weekend on Sunday. It's the Sunday before President's Day. So shame on me for showing up to the store on that day. That was kind of a bad mix of things. But this store is a fucking madhouse. First of all, not as big as Sam's Club. What's up with that? Definitely not as big as Sam's Club. It's large. But it's not as large as Sam's Club. So that's the first thing. Second of all, their selection, not as impressive as Sam's Club. Just It's just not. You know, I'm looking around at their fish. What the hell is this? The mahi, they're bragging about their mahi. It's like $18 for a pack of four fillets of mahi. Bitch, I can get a pack of four fillets of mahi at Target for like 12 bucks. That's with inflation, baby. So BJ's is out here touting that like they're in my community. They're all that. I'm not having it. I'm not impressed. But it's all okay because the thing that all these wholesale clubs have in common is that after you check out, there's a little food court area up at the front where they make pizzas, hot dogs, ice cream sundaes, frozen yogurt, different kinds of snacks, pretzels, whatever. At Costco, they got everything. They got this thing. It's like a chicken bake. It looks like a calzone, but you bite into it. It's like creamy chicken. It's amazing. They got pizzas. It's like $10 for a 18-inch massive-ass large pizza. It's great. Sam's Club, no different. Dollar hot dogs, dollar 50-cent sodas, exclusive Mountain Dew flavors on tap. They got $8 large pizzas, and the pizza's fucking good. I don't even know how to explain it. Sam's Club pizza is so good. It's like crack. Costco pizza's really good as well. Don't get me wrong. But Sam's Club pizza, even better. So in my mind, I'm just like, 
you know, whatever. It's really close to home. It doesn't have everything exactly as I like at Sam's Club, but it's got most of the stuff. It's kind of it's kind of a, a, a fair equivalent to Sam's Club. And, you know, for the convenience factor, I think it's okay. I get to the front of the store at the end of my shopping experience, really eager to check out their food court. I want to see what's BJ's pizza like, what's BJ's hot dog like, what's BJ's chicken bake or ice cream sundae like. To my surprise, BJ's, these motherfuckers, they don't have a food court. They have a little kiosk. I'm talking a fucking lemonade stand, these motherfuckers. They got Coke and Diet Coke on tap. They got popcorn and they got hot dogs. And that's it. That's fucking it. You, It's that or you starve to death. Those are your options at the BJ's, okay? And I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm like, what are you talking about? Everyone knows about the legendary pizza on offer over at Sam's Club in Costco. It is so widely talked about. Everyone who's anyone be posting up at Costco or Sam's Club for that pizza. And BJ's doesn't think they need to be competing in this market. Who the fuck do they think they are? If I could equate these guys to the big console players, I would say easily. Costco is PlayStation. Everyone thinks it's the best. And don't get me wrong, it's pretty damn great. But it's not the best. It's great. It's not the best. Number two is Sam's Club. It doesn't do as nearly as well as PlayStation. You know, nobody likes Sam's Club as much as they like Costco, but it secretly is the best. It's got that exclusive Mountain Dew flavor you know you need for late night sessions when you're playing Halo 3 on Master Chief Collection. It's got superior pizza, although no one wants to admit it because they don't want to be canceled and all the rest, right? You know what BJ's is? BJ's is motherfucking Nintendo. People out here just constantly defending it, saying it's great, but overlooking all the things it doesn't have. Shit online play, a horrible system for friend requests and adding friends to your friends list. It has no achievement system. The hardware is outdated. It needs to be upgraded so fucking badly. It entirely relies on first-party content. There's no good third-party support. That's BJ's right there. Sure, I can get a rotisserie chicken at BJ's for $5, and it's great. But what else can you do? So my BJ's card is going right next to my Nintendo Switch on the shelf. I'm going to let it sit there. I'm going to let it collect dust, dust, and I'm not going to think about it ever again. Meanwhile, Sam's Club, the Xbox of wholesale clubs, is going to continue to get used and used again because I can use my Xbox for watching movies, for cloud streaming, for playing the latest, greatest video games, for going back and playing old games through backwards compatibility. I can just get on there sometimes and browse the store and look at things I might want to waste my money on. I can do anything because it's Xbox, baby. It's Xbox. So Sam's Club, you win yet again. BJ's, go fuck yourself. So it's not exactly what I've been eating, but it's a store that sells food, and I wasn't eating nothing because BJ's don't have no pizza. Rant over, important part of the podcast over. Now we can get back to the video game news if you must. With that said, I spent my whole weekend at BJ's, so what do you want me to say? I, when we get to the how, what I've been playing, I don't have much to say. No, unfortunately, I, I feel bad saying this, but it's, I'm a human. I deserve to use my free time as I see fit, but uh, I, I basically blew my whole weekend. I say blue, but I enjoy it. I went. I basically spent my whole weekend at Disney this weekend. Um, the, the Festival of the Arts was ending. It's my favorite festival they do over at Epcot. So I wanted to be there for the last weekend before the festival was over. So I spent all day Saturday at Epcot, and then that night I went over to Hollywood Studios. I watched Phantasmic. I'm, I, you know, I'm at Disney World. I'm pretending to be a kid again. I'm trying to desperately ignore the fact that my hair is thinning out. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. I still live with my parents. I'm on my dad's insurance. It's amazing. I'm a kid again. But uh, so that's basically how I spent my weekend. Uh, I did try to play some video games a little bit on Sunday, but Sunday I spent a lot of time doing chores, trying to clean up, going grocery shopping, trying to do the adult tasks. By the time I finally had time to sit down and play some fucking video games, it was like 8, eight, eight o'clock at night. So I did play a little bit of Modern Warfare 2 because I wanted to check out their Season 2 content update. 
Um, haven't really gotten into too much. I'm so confused by this dome map that I don't recognize. I guess it's from prior Modern Warfare games, but I, I, for some reason I don't remember it. And then it has um, that that map from... Um, it has that. It has a new map from the that was in the beta. It's a museum map that was in the beta for Modern Warfare Two, and then pulled when the game came out. And now they added it back for season two. It was a cool map. I enjoyed this map during the beta. So when the game came out, I was like, "Where the hell is this map?" But for some reason, I don't know what they did. They reworked this map, but now I don't like this map. I don't understand what it is. I've been having a bad time on this map. So played a little bit of Modern Warfare Two. I like kind of what they're doing with some of the new season two in-game events some of the new things to unlock pretty interesting i'm really enjoying modern warfare 2 i can i continue to contend you know especially as as we see crossfire x start to disappear now modern warfare 2 it's a damn good game tired of seeing people shit on it everyone just kind of forgetting it and being like oh call of duty's tired nah man modern warfare 2 is some good shit might be the best modern warfare of all time and i know that's contentious to say but i like it other than that, yeah, I'm looking forward to starting Atomic Hearts this weekend. I feel bad because I know everyone be, is, is talking about Wild Hearts. Apparently, it's a really great game. I have no interest in playing Wild Hearts. I will wait for it to come to Game Pass to give it a try, but I'm just, uh, I'm not, it's not grabbing me at all. So I'm, I'm not even, that's not, the game's not even remotely on my radar. So that leaves one game and one game only, and that's Hogwarts Legacy. In Hogwarts Legacy, I only put another two, three hours into the game. So I'm really only like five or six hours into Hogwarts Legacy. And uh, that's the part where I kind of feel a little guilty and insecure because I know everyone's like at the point now where they're starting to finish Hogwarts Legacy. They're rolling credits. They're wiping up the last bit of achievements before they move on to Atomic Heart or whatever. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just... Uh... <sighs> Here's my thing. Here are my extended thoughts on Hogwarts Legacy. This game is objectively really impressive and really great, uh, I, I think, from from just its general conceit as a game. I think it, it pulls off being a, a single-player, open-world, narrative-driven RPG game um, very well. Um, it looks great. It plays mostly great. The combat is really robust. The game is... The world is uh, well is well envisioned and well-executed. The characters are mostly interesting the dialogue's pretty solid the writing's good so I, I i overall have mostly just really great things to say about hogwarts legacy but this has been an experience for me where sometimes setting just really makes all the difference and even though i keep acknowledging as i play this game wow this is a really good game i keep being pulled out of it because i just really cannot get into the wizarding world i just can't get past how much i i don't take it seriously and i don't enjoy it and it's weird because there are moments where I'm genuinely enjoying the game because the game itself is good, but I just never feel fully immersed and enveloped in it because, I don't know, like you start talking to a little 10-year-old boy with his head cut off. And he's like, I'm a ghost. Please find my body in the forest. I'm like, ah, ah, why do you talk like that? Please stop. Just, ah, go kiss your cousin and and, and, and and drive a pickup truck. Go be an American or something. God damn it. And it's just, I, I just can't get through it sometimes. So I'm struggling with the game because it it's objectively a good game and I do enjoy it, but it's just not clicking with me enough to the point where I think I'm going to spend 40 hours with this game and roll the credits and, and do it all. Um, I really just don't think that's going to be the case. I'm going to continue to play more of this game, no doubt. I'm not, I'm not saying I don't like it enough to where I'm ready to put the controller down and just be done with it. But I do see myself probably not finishing this game. I could see myself getting maybe 15 hours in, kind of exploring a decent amount of the open world and the main quest line and really getting a feel for what this game has to offer. And then reaching a point where I'm like, I've had my fill. I'm good. And I feel like a lot of us gamers, we try to, we have a, we have a thing. There's a sense of guilt that comes with 
having that relationship with a game where it's like, oh no, I've committed to a game, but I'm not going to finish it. That makes me hate myself. That makes me feel a certain way about my backlog and all these things. I think we really need to work on, and this is something I'm trying to work on, being okay with being like, hey, I yeah, I spent money on this game. I enjoyed this game. It was a good time, and I got what I needed out of it. And for me, a large part of why I bought Hogwarts Legacy Day 1 is, like I said last week, I wanted to support Avalanche. I wanted to support the developer. And also, I'm, I'm, I was excited to check the game out and see what the first AAA game from this developer looked and felt like. And you know what? I don't regret buying the game at full price on launch day at all. You know, if all I do is get 15 hours into the game and then put it down, I'm, I'm satisfied with that because... The way, the reasons why we buy games and the way we experience games, it's different for every game, you know? I would be disappointed if I bought the latest Call of Duty for $70 and all I did was play three hours of multiplayer and run through the five-hour campaign one time. I'd be like, damn, I put like eight hours in this game total and I barely touched the multiplayer and I feel like I kind of wasted 70 bucks. Yeah, because with Call of Duty, I expect to play the campaign fully once at least and I expect to play 20, 30 hours of the multiplayer at least. You know, if I if I didn't get like 50 hours out of a Call of Duty game, I didn't really feel like I got my money's worth because the point of Call of Duty is that it's endlessly replayable and addicting to just keep going back and hitting that grind and getting new gear and leveling up and customizing and getting good at the multiplayer. Like that's that's the Call of Duty grind. To me, my motives for playing Hogwarts Legacy were different. I just wanted to support the dev. I wanted to see what this game looked like and turned out being after all these years. And I wanted to play enough of it to get a good sense of what it was and to experience it and see what I liked and didn't like about it. And I feel like I'm getting that and I'm enjoying it and I don't need to play necessarily 30 to 50 hours of this game in order to fully satisfy that craving. Although there's always that part of you that's like nagging. That's like, Oh, but you didn't finish the game. We got to work on that. I feel like it's, it's all it's on. The onus is on each and every one of us to have a comfortable and healthy relationship with games where we play until we're satisfied. We don't play because there's a arbitrary nagging to checkbox everything on the backlog. So that's kind of where I am with Hogwarts Legacy. Probably we'll play a little bit more of that this weekend as well. But Atomic Heart is really the game I see myself sinking my teeth into and really investing some serious time in. This is a game I've just been looking forward to for so long. So I'm really looking forward to Atomic Heart's Atomic Heart, and I also really just want to get back to Hi-Fi Rush at some point. Um, just bad timing. Too many games coming out right now. It's 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 overwhelming. But how do you eat, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. I'm working on it. Aside from oh yeah, on Sunday I also watched the new Ant-Man movie. That's that's what took my time away. I said I wasn't going to watch it opening weekend, and then I did anyway. I don't know what people are on about. I, I do that. Side note: I don't know what people are always on about with these freaking Marvel movies these days. Everyone's like, ow. The new Doctor Strange was horrible. What a shit movie. I'm like, what? The new Doctor Strange movie was fucking awesome. I don't understand. How did you watch the last 75 Marvel movies, love them all, and then said this one sucked? The fucking... I watched the new Black Panther movie. I missed it in theaters. I watched it on Disney Plus last week. I'm like, dude, this movie's better than the first Black Panther. This movie's great. <laughs> and I watched, like, the freaking Thor movie. I skipped that one in theaters, too, because everyone said sucked. I watched it. I'm like, yeah, it's not the best movie of all time, but it's fun as hell. It's a good time. Like, I don't understand, man. I feel like these these Marvel movies are just as good as they've ever been, and people are just shitting on them. That's what I'm talking about. What are these critics up to? Like a 47% on Rotten Tomato? Like, what 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 is that? Anyway, completely unnecessary aside, but let's move away from that and uh, get into the main news today. Talk about the big pressing stories in the world of Xbox, starting now. 
All right, so interesting news week we have where it's really just three parts of one big story and then a wrap-up. And that's like really all we got this week, but it's uh, it's juicy stuff. I think a lot of you guys probably already know what we're getting into here, but it's the first time in a while I feel like we get to talk about the Activision deal, and it's not a big eye roll. It's like, hey, this is actually like, pay attention, this is some good stuff. So we're talking about Nintendo, we're talking about NVIDIA, and then we're talking about then we're talking about market share. So let's just read them in, in this order that I got them listed here, and then we'll, we'll get into it. So all from VGC. Part one, Microsoft has signed a binding 10-year legal agreement to bring Call of Duty to Nintendo platforms has been claimed. According to the Xbox firm, it previously announced uh, its previously announced commitments now apparently are legally binding, including releasing future Call of Duty games with full feature and content parity on the same day as Xbox, should its proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard be approved, the company said in this statement. This is the official release statement. It has the Xbox or the Microsoft and Nintendo logos side by side. It's crazy. Microsoft and Nintendo have now negotiated and signed a binding 10-year legal agreement to bring Call of Duty to Nintendo players the same day as Xbox with full feature and content parity so they can experience Call of Duty just as Xbox and PlayStation gamers enjoy Call of Duty. We are committed to providing long-term equal access to Call of Duty to other gaming platforms, bringing more choices to more players and more competition to the gaming market. The last Call of Duty game released on a Nintendo system was for the Wii U, the Wii U version of Call of Duty Ghosts in 2013, and allowed players to use the Wii Remote to aim with motion controls. The announcement coincides with the EU hearing set to take place later on Tuesday. At the time you're listening to this, it's already happened. At the time of recording this, it's already happened, in which Microsoft will appear in front of antitrust officials to defend itself on receiving objections of the $69 billion deal, which we'll get to in Part 3. Call of Duty has become the biggest point of contention between regulators scrutinizing Microsoft's proposed acquisition. So I guess let's stop for a second, talk a little bit about Nintendo and Microsoft, and then move on to part two. So this deal is specifically talking about Call of Duty coming to Nintendo on a commitment level for 10 years. As you may remember, this this announcement, this news, this proposal was months ago we learned about this. But now they are entering a legally binding contract. And so I think it's quite obvious what's happening here is... Microsoft is positioning themselves going into this thing to say, hey, we we want to show, we want to prove to the CMA, we want to prove to the FTC, we want to prove to the EU. These are all the things we're doing to show that we're not trying to monopolize the market. We're not trying to take games away from other platforms. We're going to continue to support these games on other platforms with other competitors, et cetera, et cetera. In fact, Call of Duty is not currently offered on Nintendo platforms. Not only wouldn't we own Call of Duty when we own Activision, will we not take it away from PlayStation and PC and other platforms. We will also add it to platforms where it currently does not exist, including Nintendo hardware. That's right, day and date. So if the next Call of Duty game comes out November 15, 2024, that game will be out on PS4, or PS5, Xbox Series X, PC, and yeah, Nintendo Switch or whatever the fuck it's called at the time, whatever they got going on in 2024. And so that's basically what they're saying. Now, obviously, a lot of people kind of go, are, are a little head scratching about that. How the hell do you do Call of Duty day and day when it looks so advanced on modern hardware and the Switch is so lagging behind? I don't know. Call of Duty is a versatile game. How did they have Call of Duty running at a smooth 60 FPS back in the 360 days? Nobody knows. That game's like that game is a video game engineering a marvel, really, when you think about it. And I wouldn't be surprised if they had some way to get a really muddy, ugly version of Call of Duty running on the Switch, especially considering, I mean, look at back in the day when you had like Modern Warfare 2 and Black Ops and whatnot running on PS3 and Xbox 360, and then you had... The same games running on the fucking Wii. And yeah, they looked like crap, but they ran. So I, I'm sure they would find a way to make this work. Maybe it's a little bit of cloud 
uh, a, a cloud game experience. I don't freaking know, but no doubt Microsoft is committed to making this happen. And it, this is this shit's cool. Like obviously, this is a huge win for Nintendo gamers and for video game fans all around. And obviously, this is happening because Microsoft is trying to make themselves look like the good guys, so that when they meet with the EU, when they meet with the CMA, when they meet with the FTC, and they go, "Well, here are concerns about about monopolizing the market and here about taking away games from other platforms," Microsoft can say. I don't know what you're fucking talking about. We are legally opening agreements right now with other platforms to add games that are not available on their platforms to their platforms should we gain access and ownership over these over these titles. It's it's really a good way of putting themselves in a situation where it's like, how are you going to argue against this? What, what are you going to have over us? And you can tell how badly Microsoft wants this deal because they're willing to make these deals going into a negotiation stage. They're willing to do whatever it is, whatever it takes to just make this freaking deal happen. They don't care anymore. They're, they're at the point where it's like, do they need a legal binding 10-year agreement to agree to put Call of Duty on, on Switch? No, not at all. Because when you think about it, Call of Duty already doesn't exist on Nintendo platforms. And when you think about it already, Microsoft doesn't even own Call of Duty yet. This is about this is a huge if. And when you think about it, Microsoft gains, stands to gain nothing from this in the long term, really other than more money because more people on Nintendo platforms will have access to a game that otherwise they wouldn't have. But really, when you think about it, it's like, Whoever owns Call of Duty isn't obligated in any form or fashion to uh, overcome the obstacle of trying to get Call of Duty running on Nintendo and on that platform every every release. No, no one has to do that. But Microsoft is going the extra mile and adding this extra task onto their place plate because they're so they're so tired of the, how long this is taking all the setbacks and they're so eager to get the ball rolling again on this deal that they're willing to make big moves, big bold moves in an effort to just shut people up and make things happen and this is a crazy the implications of this are insane because we've already seen nintendo and microsoft play nice for a couple years now but seeing their logos side by side promising to put call of duty on nintendo platforms going forward is not only crazy because it's just a huge step forward in this already kind of budding relationship but now it also basically kind of opens the door for a future where you might get some version of game pass on nintendo's platform or a future where you might get more xbox games on nintendo's platform i think everybody immediately thinks oh my god master chief collection put master chief collection on switch yeah that makes sense that actually fits really well put freaking recore on the nintendo switch man not enough people enjoy that game it's actually kind of pretty good it's not it's not great but it's not bad either but joking aside like there's a lot of xbox games that'd be pretty good on switch you know hi-fi rush just came out that'd be a damn good switch game so i mean this this feels like kind of like the gateway into getting game pass or getting more xbox content on nintendo platforms you know aside from things like what we already have with like ori and the blind forest and and, and all that stuff, Cuphead, coming Nintendo, etc. Um, and now here we are with Call of Duty being promised for Nintendo for 10 years. Let's move on to the next one because the next one's even more wild and then we can talk about it together. So part two reads, Microsoft have announced another 10-year partnership, this time with NVIDIA, to bring Xbox PC games to GeForce Now, NVIDIA's streaming service that is a rival service to Xbox game streaming, cloud game streaming, Xbox Game Pass streaming, whatever you call it. I still call it xCloud. The deal will also see Activision Blizzard games like Call of Duty release on NVIDIA's cloud gaming service should Microsoft bid, uh, Microsoft's bid to acquire the World of Warcraft and Call of Duty publisher be approved by regulators. It will also enable gamers to stream Xbox PC titles from GeForce Now to PCs, macOS, Chromebooks, smartphones, and other devices. In light of the partnership, NVIDIA is now offering its full support for regulatory approval of the acquisition. Microsoft and NVIDIA said that they are now working immediately on integrating PC games, Xbox PC games into GeForce 
now. So they're already at work on this. It's not just like a blanket promise. They're already doing it. Xbox, quote, Xbox remains committed to giving people more choice and finding ways to expand how people play, said Microsoft CEO Phil Spencer. The partnership will help grow NVIDIA's catalog of titles, including games like Call of Duty, while developers, while giving developers more ways to offer streaming games. We are excited to offer more ways to play games that they love, gamers to play more games that they love. Combining this incredibly rich catalog of Xbox first-party games on GeForce's Now's high-performance streaming capabilities, it will propel cloud gaming to the mainstream offering that appeals to gamers at a level of interest and experience, at all levels of experience and interest. Uh, that was said by Jeff Fisher, senior VP of GeForce at NVIDIA. Quote, through this partnership, more of the world's popular titles will now be available for uh, from the cloud with just a click, playable by millions more gamers. I want to focus on this part where it says, in light of the partnership, NVIDIA is now offering full support for regula regulator approval on the acquisition. To uh, add the context necessary, uh, the CMA and FTC and all these regulatory bodies were asking other big tech companies and other competitor companies, what do you think about this deal? Or is it concerning? Do you support it? Where are you? They were asking companies like Google and whatnot. And NVIDIA was one of the companies that said, uh, we're a little dubious of this. We don't love it, you know, because they have their GeForce service, which is a streaming service. If Call of Duty, or if uh, Call of Duty is suddenly part of the Xbox brand and can be in Game Pass and be on uh, Xbox cloud streaming, you know, that's a huge competitive advantage to NVIDIA's GeForce Now service. So this immediately became one of those like, ooh, now you got companies like Google and NVIDIA not really backing you, Microsoft, on this deal. So this deal, I think, is even more interesting than the Nintendo deal because even though, you know, as, as gamers, maybe Nintendo is a little bit more of like, a, ooh, pay attention, Nintendo's doing something kind of thing. This is... um. This is huge because the whole point of this deal is clearly Microsoft saying, mm, you don't support us, but we see you have a product or a service that we can make a deal with you. We can make some kind of agreement or deal that would get your support because what they need is these other companies to back Microsoft up. So when the CMA, when the FTC are asking these other companies, what do you think about this deal? They'll be like, yeah, we, we support it. We support it. We support it enough to the point where Sony looks like the crazy old man for bitching and moaning and fighting and kicking and screaming about this deal, whereas NVIDIA and Nintendo and everyone else are like, I mean, yeah, I mean, we already know Valve is in support of it, and all these companies are like, I mean, yeah, like, whatever, man. Like, they're they're good. Why, why are we making such a big deal about this? That's what Microsoft's trying to get here. That's the whole crux of this deal, is that they are announcing a 10-year partnership starting now. They're already starting it. Whether that Call of Duty stuff happens or not, they're promising to put Xbox games on GeForce now. They're basically putting Game Pass into GeForce now. That's a great, great fucking deal. Now, it doesn't say all games, so they're going to you know, start at offering some things. We don't know exactly to what extent that will look like, but we're going to start seeing all these really big Xbox PC games added into the NVIDIA streaming service, which is widely considered to be like the only legitimate streaming game service outside of Game Pass. And so it's basically Microsoft saying, hey, our biggest competition in the cloud gaming service uh, space, here's direct access to all the things that set us apart from you. Now we're equal. May the best man win. And it's one of those things where it's like, well, why would Xbox do that? It's like because they see so much value in this Activision deal that they absolutely would rather risk the competitive, losing the competitive advantage they have over GeForce Now in an effort to get NVIDIA support to make this deal go through already. <laughs> And that's how big of a deal this is. What, what this really should show us more than anything is just, you know, we all knew Microsoft is eager and dedicated and very set on making sure this deal goes through and that they, they get Activision Blizzard. 
But I think what we're gonna what, what we're starting to see more than anything is Microsoft is hell bent. They are so desperate on making this thing happen. They're gonna make big big deals. The Activision is not like oh we we saw an opportunity to acquire Activision. And uh, so we're trying to do it. Activision to Microsoft is like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. We will do everything in our power to get this. They very much value this. And I don't know if it's because so much money's on the line because they spent so much time in courts and, and with, the, with the proposal and everything on getting this acquisition through and what it could do to each company's reputation, stock. I don't know what it is, uh, if it's that or if it's because they really truly believe that they need Activision in order for in order for their, their strategy in the, in the market to succeed. I don't know what it is, but it is clear as day that Microsoft is not just interested or hard at work on trying to acquire Activision Blizzard. It is that they are they are desperate to make this deal official, to, to ink it, to make it finally happen, to shut up Sony and to win over them in this uh in this ongoing <laughs> scrutiny that they're under with all these different regulatory boards. So I mean it's just it's just fascinating as hell to think about how now as of today, Xbox Cloud Streaming is officially not much better or worse of a service compared to NVIDIA's GeForce service because NVIDIA's GeForce service, while I've never used it, people say it's pretty damn good. Like, it's, people say it's a really serious, competent alternative to Xbox Cloud Gaming, and now it's going to have Xbox PC games in it, and it's going to have Call of Duty if Microsoft manages to get Call of Duty, and that's a huge boon to them. And Microsoft is also going to put all these games on Nintendo. And now they're able to walk into this deal, this thing on Tuesday, which we're about to go into, and be like, yeah, look at look at what we've done. We don't even have this, this publisher yet. We've already inked deals with other companies to promise all this support. Yeah, you, now you can't point the finger at us and say that we're monopolizing or that we're creating an equal market. And to really drive and cement that home, this is the, really the cherry on top of it all. We get into the part three of the story, which is where Microsoft actually had the um, the press conference and met with the European commissions and, and 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 said the following. So from VGC and Games Industry App is Microsoft has presented research suggesting that Sony's PlayStation has a seventy percent share of the global market versus Xbox's thirty percent. Company president, Microsoft company president Brad Smith said the claim during a press conference on Tuesday after Microsoft pre presented arguments for why its proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard should be approved by a European Commission's hearing. Quote: Think about the market in Europe. It's a market where Sony has an eighty percent share. This is from gamesindustry.biz, where this quote is coming from. Globally, it is about 70-30, but in Japan, it's 96-4. So globally, PlayStation has 30% of the market, that Xbox and Xbox has 30%. In Japan, PlayStation has 96% of the market, where Xbox has 4%. And we all know how laughably abysmal Xbox's support has been in Japan throughout its history, but, I mean, that just puts into context. That's just, like, why... You can understand why Xbox didn't even try for a while there, because it's just how... How do you even, you know? Continuing on, quote, these numbers have been remarkably steady for two decades. Even last year, when there were issues with Sony's supply chain, they came back strong. Smith, who said PlayStation outsold Xbox by 69 to 31 towards the end of 2022, seemingly didn't provide figures for Microsoft's biggest market in the, Uni uh, the United States. Tuesday's hearing allowed Microsoft to address the statement of objection recently received from the EU, uh, warning about the possible anti-competitive, blah, 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 69, whatever, the deal. I want to get into this real quick before I lose my train of thought, 
because I'm always jumping all over the map. All right, so Microsoft famously stopped talking about numbers for Xbox in the early Xbox One years. In the Xbox 360 years, Xbox used to always talk about, here's our new sales milestone. The Xbox 360 has pushed this many uh, hardware units. Uh, Halo 3 has sold this many copies. Our, our biggest games right now are this, this, and this. Xbox made this much money. This year. Microsoft, you should be huge about touting Xbox numbers. And then... After about a year or two of the Xbox One, when it became very apparent that Xbox One was getting clobbered by PS4, Microsoft started getting quiet. And ever since those days, about almost 10 years ago, we really haven't gotten a Microsoft that shares numbers on Xbox. We never get to hear how many lifetimes. We still don't know technically what the lifetime sales of the Xbox One family of consoles is. We only know basically from just doing some rough head math when, you know, they say like, Oh, you know, a game is sold X amount of units across both platforms. And we, you basically just do some rough napkin math and some extrapolation and assuming by going, okay, sold 5 million units on PlayStation and 1.4 million units on Xbox. You know, PlayStation has an attachment rate of blah, blah, blah. It sold X amount of units. Apply the same math to Xbox. Xbox maybe sold blah, blah, blah. And, and the rough number people have landed on is that Xbox One sold around 45 to 50 million units in its total lifetime sales, which is way lower than Xbox 360 did. It's not bad, but it's really bad compared to PlayStation, and it's really low compared to where 360 did. And with Xbox Series X and S, it hasn't gotten any better. Microsoft doesn't talk numbers. They don't talk about how many copies Halo Infinite sold. They don't talk about how many units they've sold life to date on Xbox Series X and S because you want to know why the numbers aren't good. The numbers aren't impressive. Microsoft doesn't want to show how badly they're being clobbered. And again, this really drives home my point that Xbox is desperate to get this deal across the finish line. And you know they are because they were willing to announce this information knowing that this press conference would be public information, knowing it's information that everyone could have access to, where they outright admit in Europe, Sony is beating them by a 70-30 ratio. In Japan, Sony is beating them by a 96-4 to 4 ratio. It's insane. I mean, we all knew that Xbox was getting clobbered by PlayStation forever and always in Japan. But man, maybe you would have guessed it was like, I don't know, like fucking 85-15 or something like that. At least double digits. Four. Four percent of the market. That's insane. And they don't talk about the U.S., because you know, and, and, and there's a couple of reasons why. Because you know that the U.S., and more specifically North America, is Xbox's strongest market. The gap is a lot smaller. I, I wouldn't be surprised to find out if it's more of like a 55 to 45 in the U.S. Because it really, maybe it's more of like a 50-40 or something like that. But Xbox does quite well in North America, especially in its home country of the U.S.A., you know, it does it does very well. People have Xboxes here. Um, you know, it's something I try to keep in my in my mind that you know, if you're a listener in a different country right now, your your anecdotal experience with Xbox where you live, it's probably very different from mine. Where you know, everywhere I go, it's like yeah, it seems like everyone's on PS5, PS5, PS5. Not so much Xbox, but I meet a fair share of people who do like and play Xbox. But if you're an Xbox fan living in Japan, okay. Good luck ever finding someone like you. If you're an Xbox fan living in Germany, Sweden, or whatever, bro, the overwhelming majority of people around you are like, you play Xbox? It's it's a niche thing. It's not. It's they, they really don't have a strong footing in a lot of the world. I know Xbox is strong in North America. I know it is pretty big in the UK, I, I believe, or at least it was at one point. Uh, I know Xbox does incredibly well in Australia. Australia is a big market for Xbox. But, you, you know, mostly everywhere, Xbox just fucking gets clobbered by PlayStation. And Microsoft is willing to reveal this kind of data in order to make this case that, like, hey, 
if we bought Activision Blizzard, we're not monopolizing the market. We're not comp- like severely removing content and in games from other platforms. Like, look at us. We're we already made legal binding deals with Nintendo and Nvidia to put our games in other platforms when we didn't need to. We're we're literally showing to you that we are so small compared to PlayStation when it comes to this space. And it's a great argument. You think you think about it, and you're like, man, that's that's a really strong argument. This must really do a lot of good for Xbox and their plea to get approval from these regulatory bodies. But at the same time, at what cost? Look at all they're willing to give away. Look at all the the publicity and the bad press they're willing to subject themselves to to try and put themselves in the in the good gracious of these regulatory bodies. And honestly, for a while, just based on what I was hearing from other pundits and things like that, I was starting to think maybe what the CMA and the EU and all that says doesn't really fucking matter all that much. Maybe it really is a case of just getting past the FTC. But if they're willing to disclose this level of information to the European Union, I'm very curious to know what they're going to say to the FTC when it comes time to meet with those guys. So it's crazy, man. It's just it's just crazy to get this kind of data, I think, from Xbox. It's absolutely insane. And it's so bad optically because it makes Xbox look so weak. And normally you wouldn't want to release this kind of this kind of data and information. I, I, I just can't believe that they feel they must feel a certain way about this deal that a, a certain degree of there being a possibility of it not getting through, of it not going through fully, um, if they're willing to disclose this kind of information, because this is the kind of stuff that's devastating your brand. It can really fuck up your image. And so it just, it really shocks me that they're willing to talk about it. So in, in recap, we got Xbox making a 10-year deal with NVIDIA to put Xbox PC games on GeForce Now cloud streaming service, a 10-year deal with Nintendo to put Call of Duty day-and-day content parody on Nintendo platforms should the deal go through. And, um, you know, that kind of leaves the door open for other other Xbox stuff on Nintendo eventually, maybe. Who knows? And then they basically announce in, in a plea to different to show that they are not market leaders and that only Activision Blizzard is not going to suddenly overnight make them market leaders um, show that like hey we we are so small in the market compared to Sony look at these numbers look at these numbers so freaking crazy man absolutely crazy and um, this is like the juicy kind of detail that you know we didn't I don't know man like we I really didn't think we'd see some of this kind of stuff. And we know that Microsoft is about a month or two, about a month away from the deadline to pay their kill fee and get out of this. Um, if they if they wanted to get out of this deal and not try to acquire Activision, they could have paid a, it was like a one, it was like, I don't know if it was a $1 billion kill fee back in like December or January. And then their second opportunity is in April. It's like a $3 billion kill fee or something like that. Maybe it's a little more, maybe like five. I don't know. Uh, but it's a lot of money to just to just kill this thing, drop it, and and get out of this acquisition, which would be terrible. It'd be terrible for stock prices for Microsoft for Activision. It'd be terrible for reputation. It wasted all this time and money in legal battles, all this PR, all this information that got out as a result of this. You don't want that. You want this deal to go through. So it seems obvious that Microsoft is willing to play creatively, dirty, twist arms, whatever you want to say. But they're disclosing some really personal information some really secretive numbers and willing to make some insanely huge deals in order to push this thing across the line. And it's awesome. You know, for gamers, it is awesome because this makes Xbox more accessible to Nintendo players and NVIDIA GeForce players. And this is Xbox, you know, kind of sticking to their PR talk about putting more players at the center of the universe and all that stuff and giving more people more ways to play and all, all the rest. And so honestly, I'm, I'm, it's not they're not doing this altruistically it's very straightforward and plain as day the reasons why they're making these decisions but good on microsoft for actually doing what they said they're going to do here where they're definitely expanding the ways for people to access games and to interact with games at the very least this makes me more comfortable and confident that 
If Activision has to be in the ownership in the hands of someone else, I'm glad it looks like it's going to be Microsoft and not fucking Tencent or Google or some shit like that. So, but Sony still seems hell bent on making this not happen. And, and, and that's the other thing is, it, is it really just paints this contrast where it's like, look, man, look at the deals you made with Nvidia and Nintendo. Look at the information we're willing to disclose to you. We're willing to make these deals with Sony right now. They just won't talk to us. They just want to fight and hide and run to you guys. And I think this is a strong argument for Xbox. Xbox was having a weak moment the other week where I was like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe this deal doesn't go through. I don't know. It's looking a little rougher than I thought it'd ever get. And now I'm feeling a little more confident about it. I still feel like there's a 50-50 chance with this deal. And I can't believe we're saying that. If you asked me a year ago, I would think by this time the deal's done, inked, and we're moving on. But now, man, we still got like probably at least another six months of this. And I don't know, man. It's just it's just absolutely crazy to think how how desperate Xbox is to make this deal go through, how desperate Microsoft needs this deal to go through and uh, sacrifice in terms of optics and PR that they're willing to they're willing to subject themselves to to build their case. But uh, guys, let's get into our round our wrap up story of the week, basically. So this is from Xbox Wire. We got a handful of games coming to and leaving Game Pass this week so let's get into the list right now so new games that have been um added available effective immediately atomic heart we've already talked about it's available now game pass day one cloud console and pc but we have a handful of games that are coming soon to game pass that you should be aware of some pretty notable ones we got merge and blade coming to cloud console and pc on february 28th also on the 28th we got soul hacker 2 on cloud console and pc this game came out i want to say last fall late last summer or something like that looks pretty good i I actually kind of wanted to play this game but uh again just backlog it's never going to happen um, also, F122 comes to console and PC through EA Play on March 2nd. And lastly, another big day one Xbox Game Pass title a lot of people are probably looking forward to. Wolong Fallen Dynasty comes to cloud console and PC March 3rd, day one Game Pass title. And then the following games will be leaving Game Pass on February 28th, so make sure you download them now, play them now, buy them now, whatever, before it's too late. Alien Isolation, Crown, Crown Trick, Dragon Ball Fighter Z. Far, Changing Tides, Lightning Returns, Final Fantasy 13, Madden NFL 21, and Octopath Traveler. Interesting. A lot of Square Enix content leaving Game Pass. Guys, that's going to do for all of our major news this week. Let's real quick go into the important enough news. Stories important enough to make the podcast not important enough to warn their own discussions, which we have a large handful, so let's blast through them. First one, VGC reports Microsoft's raised the price of the Xbox Series S and X in Sweden. The console cost 550 US roughly, or 56.95 SEK. It's now being raised to 61.95 or about $600 US, so about $50 price increase over the 2 years after the console launched in November. As spotted by Gaming Deputy, the Xbox Series S price was also risen uh, roughly about about $30 or so. So, the price increases there, we already saw this happen in Japan. Not a good look, not great for Xbox, but nonetheless, they're they're taking these chances on markets where they feel like inflation is especially bad or that raising the price isn't going to really affect their place in the market. So I, I guess, I mean, they're smart. They they know these things better than I do, but I just think optically it's just shitty and customer service-wise it's just shitty, but whatever. VGC reports Microsoft is expanding its Game Pass friends and family plan by bringing it to six new countries. The service, which lets up to five players share Game Pass benefits for a discounted price, launched in Ireland and Colombia last September. And now it is coming to New Zealand, South Africa, Chile, Hungary, and Israel, as well as Sweden, bringing the total number of participating countries to eight. Interesting that they're bringing that to Sweden while also raising the price of consoles in Sweden. So mm. value here, no value there. Uh, next up, VGC reports that Bethesda. W- oh, yeah, we still have no word on when this deal is coming to the U.S. or the U.K. or anything like that. So stay tuned. 
Next up, Bethesda will release Mighty Doom, a mobile game for mobile devices on March 21st. The iOS and Android game was released with a new trailer, which you can view online. Soft launch back in 2021. The title promises top-down shooter action, running gun combat, roguelite gameplay with challenging bosses. Next up, Fraxis the, has officially announced that the next mainline game in the Sid Meier Civilization series is now in development. Ed Beach, uh, franchise level designer for Civ 4, will continue his role as creative director of the game. The next entry in the turn-based strategy series was confirmed along the announcement of a major shakeup at 2K Studio, which will see XCOM director Jake Solomon leave the company. In addition, studio head Steve Martin will also be leaving the company after 25 years with publisher 2K. They announced the news this past Friday, and they said that he will be replaced by former chief operating officer Heather Hazen. The departures follow a disappointing launch of Marvel Midnight Suns, though it's not clear if that title's performance had anything to do with the departures. Next up, VGC reports that Sony Interactive Entertainment has announced a state-of-play broadcast, kind of like a Nintendo Switch or something like the uh, um, Nintendo Direct-style event. What does that mean for Xbox players? Well, the event has already promised to have an in-depth look at the upcoming Rocksteady game, Suicide Squad, Killed the Justice League, and will take place on Thursday, February 23rd at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And so a big game that is multi-platform will definitely be coming to Xbox and definitely I'm looking forward to. So some interesting news there. VGC reports that the Saudi, Saudi Arabia has become Nintendo's biggest outside investor after increasing its stake in the company for the third time this year. The Kingdom's Public Investment Fund, or PIF, now holds 8.26% of the stock of the Japanese Super Mario Maker, the company filing revealed last Friday via AP. The fund first acquired 5% stake in Nintendo in May of 2022 and has been steadily increasing its stake in last January raised, or sorry, this past January raised its stake from to 6%, and earlier this week it reportedly was up 7, 7.08%. So this is terrifying, terrifying shit, uh, stuff. Absolutely fuck the Saudi uh, public investment fund. No offense to Saudi people, but uh, that is all read, led by the Saudi prince, uh, who is an actual human garbage piece of shit. And, uh, you know, Nintendo doesn't control who gets to invest in them. So they they have no way of stopping this, really. But um, an absolute evil tyrant is uh, gobbling up a large portion of Nintendo. And it's just kind of happening before our eyes. And no one can really do anything to stop it. And it's terrifying. So, not Xbox related, but want to throw it out there because notable for gaming. Next up, VGC reports Avalanche Software currently has no plans for DLC for Hogwarts Legacy. Speaking with IGN, the game director, Alan Two, claimed that the game's development team was absorbed uh, by preparing for its release and have not considered post-launch content just yet. But doesn't mean it won't ever happen. Next up, Elden Ring has sold 20 million copies worldwide, according to Bandai Namco and From Software. The game was released February 25th last year and reached a notable milestone just days shy of its first anniversary. According to Bandai Namco, 20 million in total combined shipment figures or and physical versions of the game and sales figures of digital versions, including Steam. So all that combined, 20 million. And lastly, VGC reports a judge has concluded that Destiny 2 cheat seller Aim Junkies has to pay Bungie more than $4.3 million in damages. Bungie filed a complaint back in 2021 suing Aim Junkies and the parent company Phoenix Digital for copyright infringement. That lawsuit's been going back and forth for a while. There was a lot of developments on it last year, so I just want to give that final verdict there. So you have your, um, if you've been following it or caring about that at all, you have your little update there. All right, guys, that's going to do it for all of our small stories, mild amusement and whatnot. But now we are, we're done. We're in the final segment of the podcast. The comments, the shoutouts from YouTube.com. You know how it works, guys. You want to ride an Xbox on? You get something you want to say? You want to yell at me? Go over to YouTube.com slash Xbox on at Xbox on podcast on YouTube. And uh, click on the latest episode of the podcast. Maybe subscribe while you're there. Thank you for getting us to 1,000. Let's get to 2,000. 
Leave a comment on the latest episode of the podcast. You can say anything you want. You can say, Jesse, you're stupid and I hate you. And also, you smell bad. And also, the new Ant-Man movie sucks. I'm from I'm from uh, US Weekly and I gave it a bad review. And I'll be like, that's me just going brain dead. I don't care. Or you can be like, Jesse, roses are red, violets are blue. If you were a ninja, I'd kick you. And I'd say, you can kick me even though I'm not a ninja. And then, and then I'd be kicked. But no one did any of that, so let's talk about our comments that we do have. We've got 10 entry- entries, about the first half of them are all about Hogwarts Legacy. You guys have a lot to say about that. Starting with my buddy Hunter, who you may remember was on the podcast a few months ago, writes in and says, Jesse describing why he bought Hogwarts Legacy. Look, I hate Foot Locker. Foot Locker is overrated. I don't get it. And who really likes buying shoes with designs anyway? But you know what I do like? Gerald. When Gerald, a 26-year-old veteran store manager at my local Nike outlet, was let go, I swore I would follow him wherever he goes. So I don't love Foot Locker. I'm spending my money, my hard-earned $200 to buy some LeBron Jordans. Uh, y- yeah. I mean, it's it's funny, and it's goofy, and it's apt, no doubt. Uh, but yeah. I mean, that is basically the logic of my why I bought Hogwarts Legacy. Um, but as funny as it is, that is, that is funny. I mean, yeah, I, don't, I, yeah, I, still, I stand by it, man. I want to support that developer. Makes me, it makes me happy to see those guys are still kicking and that there's life for them after uh, after Disney fucking screwed them over. So, hell yeah. And uh, shout out to Ger- uh, Gerald. Uh, Gerald's a fucking G. Uh, not just because his name is Gerald, uh, but also because Gerald, despite being an underpaid Nike store outlet employee, gave 38% of his annual income last year to charity. What the fuck are you doing with your life? Think about that. Next up, Sam Torres writes in, another funny one, says, a, a, a call to the Bob Iger household, quote, yes, this is Bob. Who is this? A low raspy voice comes through the receiver. <clears throat> Hogwarts Legacy has outsold fucking everything. You have three minutes ahead, a head start. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm coming after Bob. I'm saying, you motherfucker, Disney Infinity was so goddamn good. You're the reason it's gone. Now look what happened. I wish Disney cared. I know Disney doesn't give a shit. I know they're they're totally happy with how they're doing gaming these days by not having an in-house team and by just fucking licensing out Black Panther and Iron Man and Star Wars bullshit all over to the industry so that every fucking developer you've ever loved, instead of creating a new original fun idea, will just make another freaking Star Wars game instead and... I understand Disney's happy with it because we get really high-quality games like Marvel Spider-Man, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, and these games are technically very good, but it's it's creatively vapid, and it fucking sucks. And I stand by my point that Disney is such a quintessential company, such an important historical company in terms of defining American culture, defining American cinema, American um, entertainment, and pop culture. They define music, they define TV, they define movies, and they have their unique t- touch and spin and 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 way of doing everything and always have. And the fact that they have just taken this massive industry of entertainment, this massive gaming division and just decided, nah, we don't need to be a spearhead or a, or a big player or unique voice or part of that ecosystem. We don't need to be that. We're okay with being generic. We're okay with just licensing our shit out to God knows whoever. I'm, I'm not trying to shit on the games we get, but it does suck, man. Like, Disney's not great because they come up with cool characters and then they're like, man, we'll let DreamWorks make a Mickey Mouse movie and fucking let, we'll let, uh, you know, we'll let Illuminations make a freaking Wreck-It Ralph sequel and whatever. We'll just, who wants to make a thing? Oh, what, 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 what's that freaking, uh, what's that? The Coen brothers want to make a, want to make a movie about Winnie the Pooh. Okay, here you go. We'll just license our shit out. They're not, they don't do that shit. At least historically, 
Disney was all about we we have our way of doing things. Let's let's be different and let's be great. I just wish they could apply that logic to games, but instead they just uh whatever. We're not getting into this. <laughs> Compassionate Choice LLC writes in with our next one because we're talking about Hogwarts Legacy and not Disney. And says, after about 10 hours of getting into Hogwarts Legacy, I gotta say, it's very good, and I'm glad I'm playing it. I went into the game hating Harry Potter's universe, never seen a movie or read a book, and altogether had a prejudice against the game. What a treat it is. Also, thanks for your advice on exploring other interests. Life is all about a good balance. Amen. Amen to that, brother. Yeah, man, I'm super glad to see you're enjoying the game. It, it is a fun game, it is a cool game, and it's no doubt artistic. That's the thing, is like, Harry Potter is, like, aesthetically an interesting world. I do love, like, the... The houses that are all like mismatched and oddly shaped in size and all that kind of weird Eldridge shit it has going on. But at the same time, I'm just like, ah, the fucking British kids with the scarves. God damn it. But yeah, no, it, it's 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 quite a cool world they built there. And the game is the game definitely, you know, for better, not for worse, because this is a, a pro to the game really nails and captures that tone and aesthetic and feeling that the movies and the books definitely convey. And I think that is absolutely this game's strongest suits. It's the reason why this game is not just a, a big deal because it's a Harry Potter game, but because it's a true Harry Potter experience for fans of the series. That's, that's what really sets this game apart. Makes it super special is they nailed it. It feels like Harry Potter, but I'm glad to see you're enjoying it. That's awesome, man. And I uh, hope you're having a great week. Way the Lau writes in and says, yo, 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 what fronting G? I want to come in and congratulate you on a thousand followers. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you. I also want to say that Hogwarts Legacy does look like a well-designed game, but as almost all the important games that came out last week have some bad optimization issues, I wonder why so many developers are having such a hard time making the software interface with the hardware in a way that just doesn't cause so much jank. It's as if they're not testing the game enough to see issues in real time. Case in point, Wild Hearts. I'm playing it on my PC, which is no, which not to brag, is no slouch. I'm running 128 gigs of RAM on an AMD 5950X with a 3090 Ti, and the best the game will run is at 1080p 60fps. All those settings could still barely hold a consistent frame rate. There's also an issue later in the game that causes it to run in slow mode. I'm not joking, it literally runs in slow motion. If you've ever heard of Ruricon, I highly suggest you go watch his videos on the issue and why it feels important for gamers like Hogwarts and Wild Hearts to succeed. Jesse, take care and don't read my comment. All rushed. I know you tried and I appreciate you, but slow down. Thanks, Dad. Well, first of all, um, I, I haven't followed Wild Hearts because, again, honestly, I'm just, it's really not on my radar. I'm not super interested in it right now. So I, I'm sure at some point I'll pay attention to it. But yeah, I, di I didn't know that it was having performance issues. That's kind of unfortunate. Um, but as for Hogwarts Legacy, which I can speak to, I, I gotta say, I don't know what the stories are about Hogwarts Legacy having optimization issues. I heard there was a new update that was for some reason not coming to PS5 or not coming yet to PS5. I don't know if that was a good or a bad thing. Maybe it didn't need the update. I don't know. But I don't know. I think Hogwarts Legacy is running pretty well. I, I mean, I think I, I played about, like I said, five or six hours. I've seen a couple little graphical snags and glitches here like that, but uh, the game is not running poorly at all i think it's quite well optimized i know a lot of people rag on the whole like sometimes when you're opening a door a random loading screen will just appear for a second and then you'll load in but it's a it's an intricate open world with lots of indoor and outdoor shit i'm not surprised that they had to kind of come up with some kind of buffer to load you in and out of different parts of the world i i, I think the problem is man games are so tricky these days because 
the tools and the requirements for game to be content complete today are so much more sophisticated, so much different than where it was 10, 15 years ago. Games are super high fidelity. They're super touchy. Lots of live service elements, lots of different features. Every game is about trying to shove as much open world content and features and RPG stuff into a game as humanly possible. And games are just, I think games are just bloated. The way we make games is different today. I think there's probably more split effort stuff where not everyone's together all the time. Games aren't made in a vacuum. I think, you know, it's just games have huge, huge budgets. And at some point, publishers have to put their foot down and give a deadline and get a game out the door. And sometimes that means that the game's a little rough around the edges and things get cut and left on the, you know, content gets left on the cutting room floor and things like that. And we wait for day one patches to make things better. Games are just more intricate and difficult and tedious to make than ever before. And do I think to some extent the reason is that a lot of these publishers have seen companies get away with releasing unfinished products, still making shit tons of money and eventually getting everyone's sympathy and apologies later down the road after making it right. Yeah. And I think a lot of, a lot of companies think they can get away with that. So that's part of it for sure. But a lot of it, I really just think comes down to like developers need more time. They always need more time. A game's never really finished. And Games today are just really intricate and difficult to make. And, you know, when I see Xbox promising things like every Call of Duty day and day content parody on Nintendo platforms, I'm like, I don't know how you promise that because it's it's freaking hard to get games out the door these days. But I don't know. I don't want to totally blame developers, but no doubt there is some uh, some fuckery going around for sure. But thank you for writing in, Mr. Lau. Hope you're having a wonderful week. Next up, Headhunting Halo, who usually closes us out, is commenting in about Hogwarts Legacy and says, Hogwarts is amazing, and yes, I still don't have my broom. Man, Modern Warfare 2 Season 2 had me put down Hogwarts till I'm done with my season on COD, but hey, Legend of Dragoon on Classic Catalog on Tuesday. If you get it and play it, you will be your goat. It will be your goat. Happy wizardy, wizardy, wizardry. Happy wizardry to you. Enjoy the game. Uh, thanks for writing in. Hey, Modern Warfare 2 over Hogwarts Legacy. I don't blame you, man. It's more my speed, too. But, uh... Yeah, Legends of Dragoon, that's, uh, is that coming to Xbox as well? I thought that was a PlayStation thing that was coming to, like, PlayStation's subscription service. Yeah, that's a, that's a PlayStation game. It, it was It's from PlayStation. So, yeah, that's coming to PlayStation's Plus service thing. So, yeah, unfortunately, we're not, I mean, we're not getting that, but I don't, I don't know. My, my, I'll be honest with you, man. My PS4 is in storage. When I got my Series S, I put my PS4 away because now I just got xboxes everywhere all over the place and i just don't have room for it so i put my ps4 away and i don't have a ps5 so i'm currently playing zero playstation i'm waiting for playstation shit to come to pc in order for me to experience at this point in time but uh, thank you for writing in sir mr maug writes in with our next one and then we'll round out with our final comments says looks like hogwarts legacy might be this year's elden ring but with better combat i think i might join in and pick up the game but probably on pc since it's 60 bucks instead of 70 also, Jesse, I'm surprised you're not all excited about the new Bing. It's all over the news. Uh, I am excited about the new Bing. I've been playing around with it. I actually was just showing my girlfriend it uh, earlier today, and um, she was having fun with it too. It's really, it's really impressive. I know there's always those like SEO farm websites that are going to try to like make a thing out of it. The, the new Bing is a big bully, and it says stupid things. It's, it's, it's insensitive towards I don't know people in Ethiopia or some shit like that. It's like whatever. I don't know. There's always going to be some, some stupidity going around, but like. I tried to use it. I tried to be realistic with it and try to like actually put it through its paces and use it for legitimate stuff. And as far as I can tell so far, it's pretty damn fucking impressive. Like it's, it's a cool service. So I, I, I know I do like it. I, I am thinking about it right now. I feel like a Microsoft cheater. Cause I actually just picked up, I trade in my Samsung Z flip for a Samsung S 23 ultra. 
and uh, it's the phone I'm using right now. And I still have my Surface Duo 2. It's still my bread and butter. I still love the Surface Duo 2. But I, I feel bad because um, I'm, I'm using the Samsung phone and I'm freaking loving this thing. And lucky enough for me, Samsung is so close with Microsoft these days that Samsung phones have so much Microsoft integration. But right now I feel like I've been cheating on Microsoft a little bit because I'm not using my Surface as much. I'm using my desktop more. I'm not using my Surface Duo as now. All of a sudden, I'm using this Samsung S23 Ultra. I feel like, dude, I swear to God, if you see me on Gmail, send help. I'm, I'm not, I don't mean to abandon my posts, abandon my corporate overlord, but yeah, man. I don't know why I had to tell you all that. Next up, Cody writes in again. Cody uh, Pavon, I feel bad because I don't remember how I said it that one week where you were like, you got my name right. And now I'm like, shit, I'm probably butchering it every week since. I'm so sorry. But following up on marketing woes for Xbox is where I headed this comment. So following up on your comment from last week, you said, hey, Jesse, I want to add a little bit more to my comment from last week. I've always felt like Xbox doesn't market their big titles enough like they used to. I remember not being able to walk around a corner without seeing a Halo 3 ad. These days, most of the ads I see coming from Xbox show off peripherals like controllers and headsets followed by a rendered a reminder to subscribe to Game Pass. But with Sony owning the market rights to Hogwarts, marketing rights to Hogwarts, I'm seeing the game advertised to me everywhere I look, and that makes me happy knowing that the game is being put in front of as many eyes as can be because it really does deserve it. P.S. Does anyone remember when chicken flatbread sandwiches used to be at Taco Bell around 2010, 2011? For, forever waiting on the day they bring them back. Bro, you and me both. We brought that up on this podcast a long time ago. The chicken flatbread sandwiches, thank you for remembering these. They also had a steak flatbread sandwich as well. So good. One of the best things, the the flatbread basically just tastes like fucking non bread. No, it was more like more like pita, I guess. I don't know. Whatever, doesn't matter. It was soft. It was beautiful. It was amazing. I miss it so much. Talk about bring it back, bring it back, bring it back, bring it back. Okay. Yeah, I, actually, I do see what you're saying now. Now you elaborate a little more. I, I I think you have a point for sure. Xbox isn't as heavy on the marketing these days. I think it's quite honest because that I think with where they are with the loss in market share, I think you know, running aggressive ad campaigns is going to be expensive and not do a whole lot. I think they need to have a whole lot to do a whole lot. So here's what I mean. For example, when Starfield comes out, get ready for it. I think you're going to see a huge marketing blitz for Starfield. But aside from stuff like that, I think you kind of answered your own kind of quandary or, or not quandary, but you know, wonderment or curiosity because yeah, you, I, I, I know you see a lot of PlayStation commercials, even, you know, God of War, Hogwarts Legacy, whatever the case may be, Sunday football, fucking basketball, Wednesday, Gator Day, whatever whatever sporting event you're watching, there's always tons and tons of ads for PlayStation everywhere all the time. Microsoft's big product these days is not Halo Infinite, it's not Atomic Heart, it's not, you know, it's not this or that or Hi-Fi Rush, whatever. It's Game Pass. So it's not as fun and glamorous, but when Xbox markets something, it's got to be Game Pass more than anything because... Because that's the product they're trying to sell you. All the games are in Game Pass. So when they're in this situation now where they just don't have the most attractive and sexy, robust first-party lineup, there's not a whole lot for them to say. But rest assured, when Game Pass starts having a better cadence, you're going to see a lot more marketing ramp up. And I think that's really, it's as simple as that. I think that's what we're looking at. But hopefully sooner rather than later, we start to see, because I, I agree with you, I'd like to see some more marketing effort from Xbox, for sure. All right, next up, and lastly, nope, penultimate. Cronky writes in and he says, uh, my problem with Game Pass, and this is a talk about the issue with Game Pass. My problem with Game Pass is I want to support smaller devs. Example, I bought the Ascent regardless of it being on Game Pass. I need more transparency on how devs are helped by Game Pass before I can really go all in. But for games from the big publishers, Game Pass is great. I do kind of hope that and want it to fail. 
because I really don't want a future where subscriptions destroy the industry like they're killing movies. Aren't you tired of having millions of subscriptions because of this movie or it's on Prime or that show's on Netflix, blah, 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 blah. Also, I'm tired of microtransactions, and that's the cornerstone of Game Pass. So I'll be honest with you, Kronky. Uh, that's a contentious take that I think is going to make you very unpopular. But I'll, uh, if I'm being completely honest, to an extent, I kind of get where you're coming from. And I'm kind of there with you just a little bit. I like Game Pass. Don't get me wrong. I, I, yes, I am tired of everything being subscription services and TV and movies. I'm, I'm tired of having to, oh, it's on Peacock or it's on HBO or it's on Disney or it's on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon or God damn it, dude. There's so many. When people ask me, it's like, oh, do you have Paramount Plus? Do you have Hulu? Do you have Peacock? Uh, bro, no. Well, I do have Hulu. I have Disney Plus Hulu bundle because I'm a Disney whore and because without, even regardless of Disney, I, I just like Hulu. I think Hulu's always been the best. So yeah, I have those two. I have T-Mobile as my cell phone provider, and they and they they pay for my Netflix and my Apple TV. Otherwise, I wouldn't have either of those. Apple TV and Netflix mostly suck. I have them because they're paid for through my T-Mobile service. So there's that. Do I have Paramount? Fuck no. Do I have Peacock? Fuck no. Those services suck ass. Do I have HBO Max? That's the only contentious one because HBO Max is awesome. HBO Max, I think, is really, really good. Um, I just, I just can't justify paying for another one of these things. It's like, I look at my freaking bills every month. It's like YouTube premium, Spotify, Hulu, Disney plus all this shit. It's like, do I really want to add HBO into that mix? I already don't have enough time to do anything I want to do. Why would I commit to yet another one of these services? I'm already upset that I don't spend more time making YouTube videos. I don't spend more time tackling my, my gaming backlog. I don't spend more time fucking pumping iron and working off my chub on my tummy or some shit like that. I don't spend more time um, reading books. I don't spend more time um, trying to solve for X in a math equation or whatever the fucking case may be. Like, There's so many things that I want to do with my life, and there's never enough time. There's never enough money. There's never enough attention. There's never enough energy. So why the fuck would I take on yet another subscription service? That's just more distraction, more shit. And so that's kind of like the, mm, right? And so on on that front, I'm like, Cronky, I'm right there with you because, uh, yeah, I do feel that way. I, I kind of prefer, because as an adult, as a privileged adult, you know, I, I make my own living. I'm fortunate enough to where I make a good enough living to where I can comfortably buy little nice entertainment comforting um, oddities like a video game here or going to the movie theater there or going out to dinner with my girlfriend here. And, you know, I, I live a very blessed and fortunate life. We don't have kids. You know, we make enough money to where we can go to Disney on the weekends and we live right next to Disney World. It's a fucking blessing. And, and it's awesome. We just, we, we have so many, so much great access and so many great things to keep ourselves distracted. And it's like, I don't know. I think about that stuff. And I'm like, I, I don't have, I don't inherently have a problem with buying every game I want to play at full price. Like if game pass didn't exist, I'd buy atomic heart today for 70 bucks. And yeah, last week I bought Hogwarts legacy for 70 bucks. And then when Redfall comes out on May 2nd, I'll buy that for 70 bucks. And then when justice league suicide squad kill the justice league comes out a week after Redfall in May. Sure. I'll, I'll buy that too for 70 bucks. I don't give a shit because I, I'm in a privileged position where I can do that and I'm more than happy to do that. And I'm not one of those people that's like $70 for a game that's only 25 hours. What a rip off. No, like, fuck no. Are you kidding me? This game took like eight years and $300 million and blood, sweat and tears from all these developers to make. Like, no, this game's absolutely worth the asking price. I don't think $70 is ridiculous for a modern AAA video game. I think what's ridiculous is all the bitching and moaning about the price of video games. I'm more than happy to pay for video games. My problem is I think Game Pass does 
benefit gaming uniquely in a way that TV and movie subscription services maybe don't. And that's because even though I kind of also yearn for and miss that comfort of like, I don't I don't have Game Pass constantly blowing up in my face reminding me of 35 games I need to play. Even though I kind of miss that ability to just be like, I'm going to really spend time with every game I buy because I'm only going to buy the games I'm truly interested in. I'm not going to have access to it unless I buy it. I do miss that. There's something comforting and a little more like, I feel like a little more in control with that. So I do miss that. But Game Pass offers this beautiful opportunity for people to play games they otherwise wouldn't have played because gaming is so much more cost prohibitive than movies. Because not everyone's in my position or your position, Kronky, because I, I know your position. I know that you also are in a spot where, you know, you're not raising five kids and trying to pay a mortgage. You can buy fucking battle toads if you want to buy it, you know. But I remember what it was like to be a kid. Like, we didn't grow up wealthy at all. We grew up financially not in a great spot. And I remember what it was like being a kid. Like, I, like I, it's so fun. It's so funny how nostalgia works because it makes not great times seem like good times. And you get nostalgic for days where you technically weren't even like in a good in, in a good space. I'm always so nostalgic for like the late 2000s, early 2010s. But like, bro, I was broke as fuck back then. I was a kid. Like I, I like I'd be like, oh my god, Left 4 Dead 2, Guitar Hero 4, Sonic Unleashed, Halo 3. Oh my god, I want to play all these games, but I have no money because I'm a stupid fucking poor kid with poor parents, and I don't have a way of getting access to these video games. And I remember that. I remember being like, my TV's a piece of shit, and I feel embarrassed playing video games on this, and I, I only have Xbox Live some months because I can't afford to have it all the time, and I only get, like, you know, like, every year 20 games come out that I want to play, and I only ever end up getting access to, like, two or three of them. I remember that. Absolutely. And I try to be sympathetic to that because I know there are a lot of younger gamers who are in that situation. There's always going to be younger gamers who don't have money because kids. There's always going to be... People who it's like, you know, money's super tight. Maybe you're raising three fucking kids and you can't just buy every game you want. And maybe an Xbox Series S with a Game Pass subscription is really your only ticket to ever really having access to a big library like that. So it's kind of, you know, it's a it it's one of those, it's like the Pandora's box thing. Like you can't, it's, it's open now, man. There's nothing you can do about it. Game Pass exists and yeah, it's changing the market. But I can't say that I want a world where Game Pass doesn't exist or I kind of wish we could go back to the old ways because even though selfishly I'm with you and I kind of do wish we could go back, I also recognize the fact that Game Pass makes gaming accessible to people in a way that I don't think anything else ever could or would. Netflix TV shit, that's a, that's a little different because TV is like this thing where it's like, okay, well, we're going to we're going to we're going to go rent this movie or buy this movie. So everyone in the household can enjoy it. And it's 20 bucks. It's a lot cheaper. It's a lot more accessible. It'll service a lot more people. Gaming's a little more unique. It's like, you know, mom and dad don't play games. Older brother or sister doesn't play games. Little Johnny, who's 12 years old, loves video games. So what, you're going to buy a $500 Xbox Series X and a $70 video game for him? Versus like, oh, we want to watch the new fucking Grown Ups Part 3 featuring Adam Sandler. We're going to rent it for $4 on Amazon so the family can sit down and watch it together. It's like, okay, there's, there's a difference, right? So I, I don't know. I feel like stuff like Hulu and Netflix and HBO and all that shit, it just, it just exists to like, just keep you fucking sedated and constantly glued to the TV, watching more and more dog shit while these fucking suits in Hollywood who have no creativity whatsoever, look for more and more ways to exploit your childhood and your nostalgia to be like, look, what if there was a back to the future part four? What if the ghostbusters found even more ghosts to bust? And it's like, okay, we fucking get it. You can't stop reliving our childhood. 
But it's different with Game Pass because we're getting really creative games. We're getting really interesting, unique content. We're getting the ability for smaller developers to have their voices heard and to have their games pushed into the forefront and in front of the masses for everyone to explore, experience, enjoy, discover, create, whatever. It's really, really great. I think Game Pass offers so many pros to where, you know, it's so easy for us to be like, well, Game Pass is like the gaming version of Netflix. But it's like, eh, I don't think Netflix is as beneficial to the movie industry as Game Pass could potentially be to the games industry. And we keep seeing these anecdotal stories where small developers are like, no, Game Pass fucking rocks. Like, my game wouldn't have failed without Game Pass. Like, Microsoft pays you a healthy sum of money that helps you safely sustain yourself as a developer uh, by getting your game into Game Pass. And then on top of that, you know, your game has way better chance of, of doing really, really well. And of course, there probably are always going to be those games where it's like, um, you know, everything's a gamble. You know, new developer, no one knows you, new game, whatever. Think about Among Us. It's like that game could have been thrown out into the ether and no one would have ever given a shit. Game over. That's it. Fuck you. But that game wasn't a Game Pass day one title. It was just a random game that went out on Steam one day and it had a slow start. But one day it caught on and boom, it's one of the biggest games of all time. Amazing. Simply amazing. So yeah, I guess there is always that gamble, but it seems like developers, publishers that do get with Game Pass ultimately end up being pretty well taken care of. Um, so I don't know, man. I think I just think Game Pass has proven itself to be a net positive for the consumer and for the developer and publisher, or at least as far as we know so far. It seems like that's been the case. When I talk about my my pessimism or my my concern about Game Pass, it usually has less to do with how it affects developers, publishers, consumers, and more with how it affects the sustainability of like these ecosystems, these platforms. Like, what what situation does that put PlayStation and Nintendo in? Because they can't afford to do a Game Pass. I know Nintendo can't afford to do a Game Pass. That doesn't make sense for them. So what you know, if, if the world becomes Game Pass crazy, what situation does that put Nintendo in? And in that case, I think it can be unhealthy or dangerous or potentially not a great thing. So I don't know. I, I share some of your concern and a part of me wants to agree with you. But at the same time, I'm like, I, don't know, I just think Game Pass has helped so many, you know, you think I don't think Atomic. Listen, in, in a world where Atomic Heart is not an Xbox Game Pass title and Russia is not in some bullshit fucking invasion of Ukraine in, in a world where neither of those two things happening, I think I think that game would come out and it'd be a lot less eventful and notable um i think it would just be more of like another game that kind of comes and goes like any kind of focus home interactive game really but i don't know uh, long that we're going all along so let's move on but i appreciate the write-in uh, i feel like there's a million more ways i could go with that and there's a million ways you could rebuttal it so we can have that conversation for a long time and i'd love for others to jump in but uh thank you for the writing i think it's a, i still think it's a thoughtful and fruitful conversation to have anyway our final comment comes from timothy Tom, timothy reeser who says when we're talking about always online and halo and sadness who says two instances where requirements for internet access burned me when i was in the military one was when i was in the military and deployed to the sand working 12 hours on and 12 hours off made downtime super important and not being able to play four PC games I brought off my laptop because they required Steam verification via internet, not Xbox, but I know the same issue, meant my tour was so much more stressful than it could have been. Secondly, taking games to my friend's house uh, who lives on a farm in the middle of BFE requires... What was BFE? Big fucking everywhere? Benevolent, friendly environments? Requires... Anyway, my... <laughs> My friend's farm in the middle of BFE requires that I only bring games that can be played offline. Semi-related, but these big 
both big contributors to why I prefer physical versions of games over digital. Not that it matters much anymore because they're really just placeholders for initial day one patches, but great show, and I'll catch up to the current week's episode eventually. Uh, also, on, you also wrote a second comment, so I'll just read it right now. Honestly, I'm kind of frustrated to hear how amazing Halo Infinite is. I own it, but I... <laughs> But the only time I have to play games is at the same time I have to spend with the family. As a result, I only play couch co-op games. For economic reasons, I've, I've been away from Xbox for many years. Finally decided that it was time to introduce my wife to Halo since I had such a wonderful memory of playing split screen on Halos 2 and 3. So I bought the newest Halo and was disappointed to find that it did not have co-op. After a quick search, found that it was in development, and after literal months of waiting to play the game, the announcement came out that 343 was going back on their promise to release Couch Co-op, and honestly felt like a betrayal. I regret buying it without waiting for them to actually have the functionality I feel is core to the part of the franchise, and just another company making promises and failing to deliver. That being said, I'm glad there's an audience that loves the game, it's just not for me anymore. Well, I, hey man, Timothy, I really appreciate you riding in, and uh, I appreciate your perspective, because obviously you're, you're definitely providing unique perspective that I, I definitely don't have or, or have been able to speak to. So I, I appreciate this, but um, yeah, man, that is, always, that that's a good one. The military one is like oddly specific, but definitely relevant. And uh, it's funny because y it's funny you mentioned that. Cause even though your anecdote, I agree, you know, it's, it's same point, still relevant, but you're talking about steam instead of Xbox. It does kind of remind me, especially like in the Xbox 360 days, how Xbox was always heavily, I don't know. There's always this association that Xbox was, you know, they're the American games companies. It was always like the pro US military box where like I feel like you got like the videos and the shots and the and the little anecdotes about like um, military units that deployed um, in various nations that we were just fucking bombing and murdering for no reason because our government is greedy and wants money. Um, and we would just uh, and sorry, I, I mean, that's no offense to you. I, I, I appreciate and respect you very much for your service. Uh, I mean, that just as a never-ending criticism of our of our government um but anyway uh i feel like you always used to see those stories and those anecdotes and those photos of like of like troops like in their in in their like bunkers or tents or whatever where they got like their freaking xbox 360s hooked up and they're doing like a call of duty or a halo like land party or like a uh, uh whatever like some some split screen co-op or whatever or some four player uh slayer whatever the case may be and I think that's I think that stuff's so cool. I remember seeing that kind of stuff growing up and being like, that is that's so cool that like this game that just brings you know me my stupid little middle school ass that plays Halo with my buddies on the weekend and shit and after school that like people you know we got Americans in different parts of the world dealing with crazy shit that like I could never fathom or imagine um, what it's like to experience and and these guys like their connection their tether to home is just this ability in this in this small bit of off time to be able to sit down have this respite from their day and for a brief moment just connect with this kind of just authentically American experience or just kind of home comfort experience of just sitting down and playing like a Halo or a Call of Duty game, um, you know, for a little bit. And so I, I think that's really cool. I just, I, I don't know why it just, it just reminded me of that. So I want to talk about that a little bit, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good point because for games to require you to be connected to the internet, it does kind of assume that you have this default living situation that while I think does apply to the majority of people, um, doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, let me put it this way. Microsoft is a company that is so obsessed with being inclusive to the set, to the, to the nth degree to where we have like these adaptive kits for surface devices. We have the Xbox adaptive controller, which no doubt super fucking awesome. Everyone loves to see it because 
obviously it's super cool. It's super creative. It's super inclusive and awesome to see us take something that everyone loves like Xbox or like surface computers or whatever, and be able to make it accessible to even the most, even the most, like, I guess, relatively unthought of or unconsidered kind of like physical disability that might exist out there. And so it's super awesome to think that like, I don't know, someone who maybe had an arm amputated or was born with only a few fingers or something like that might still be able to enjoy the latest Xbox game that you and I are enjoying because the adaptive control exists. So it's so cool to see Xbox be so, Microsoft be so insanely inclusive to the nth degree in situations like that. And then when it comes to like, yeah, we have a first party game that isn't playable offline. Fuck you people (laughs) who don't have easy access to internet. It just, it does seem like, you know, it's like one step forward, one step back and away. So it, it is a good point. Ideally you want to make everything as accessible and inclusive as humanly possible because I mean, not only because you want to be considerate of everyone, all potential players, but also because it financially would stand to benefit you the most if, you know, you can reach more people regardless of things like internet access. So, end rant. Um, yeah, you make some good points, things I hadn't considered for sure. And then there's always, there's always the guy that lives on the farm who doesn't have internet. God bless those people. I don't know how you do it. My God, I'm so freaking attached to stupid shit, just constantly looking at Instagram and... Disney blogs all day on my phone. I don't, I don't know how you guys do it. I, I would go nuts without without um without YouTube, but um yeah and and the Halo thing, man. Like I we won't even get into that anymore. <laughs> we talked about that stuff so much back when it was uh more like in the news. But yeah, man, this is why that Halo anecdote that right there is why you do not buy a game, why, why you shouldn't pre-order and why you shouldn't buy a game based on something they promise to add down the line because promises are easy to make and hard to keep so until until the thing is actually there don't don't put your money down uh that being said i've definitely pre-ordered games in very recent history and so i'm a hypocrite but thank you so much for writing timothy i hope you have a great week and uh, i appreciate all you guys who wrote in again i just want to give a a a last little thank you thousand subscribers over on youtube the podcast is uh is doing as good as it's ever done um i'm just really grateful for my little community that i've been able to carve out with uh the audience that reoccurs that comes back and listens to this podcast on a weekly basis you guys leaving comments and subscribing and supporting the show and engaging with me I, it just it means the world to me so i really appreciate each and every one of you guys for uh, all your support and thank you so much for that uh, if you haven't commented before what are you waiting for man don't be shy reply but that's it for this podcast this week you guys i hope you all enjoyed and i hope you have a great week take care be safe uh, don't, don't bomb anyone. Don't steal taxpayer dollars and then neglect the fact that we have homeless people and people who are underhoused or, uh, people who are underemployed, people who are unable to afford fucking eggs because they're $6 a carton. Just, uh, just, just don't take that money from those people and invest it in bombs. Instead, what you guys should do is invest it in a Sam's club membership because, while we can't control the price of everything, while we can't control everything that's happening in the world and the cultural factors, in, 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 in the um, political factors and the socioeconomic factors surrounding everything, what we can control is um, where we buy our pizza. And right now, Sam's Club will sell you an 18-inch pie for just shy of nine bucks. And I just think, considering where we are in today's world with the economy the way it is, I just think that can't be beat. So that's my advice to you guys: is get out there, you're near Sam's Club, get yourself a membership, get yourself a Sam's Club pie, and why not get yourself a Mountain Dew Berry Monsoon exclusive at Sam's Club stores while you're at it. But that is it for this week's show. You guys take take care, eat good food, play good video games, spend time with those you love, have a good time, breathe, focus on breathing, keep your heart rate down, and uh, 
if you have a kitty, please pet it. Tell it is a very tell it tell your cat is a very good boy or girl, and that you love them very much because they're they, they apparently know English because my cat she listens to me sometimes. It's beautiful. Please have a great day. Power your dreams. And when you're at the grocery store, make sure you buy name brand products because it's worth the slight difference in cost. I mean, Jif peanut butter, good shit. Uh, Publix brand peanut butter. Who you kidding me? This is fucking pistachios. It's not even real peanuts, man. They're, they're cutting it with pistachios. The things are getting away with the FDA. Thank you.